the beginning of Wasting Away is actually Sonic Youth and Motorhead together infuse soup, speed up like three times faster than the original. And that's the beginning. That's actually like a, like a, it's a Motorhead bass line and a Sonic Youth bass line together with three times faster. So it's, it's unrecognizable at all. Like it's not. So I, I, I don't even think it can be considered a ripoff. It's not because you change the timing and you change the tempo. And he also changed the sound of it. So it becomes something else. Wasting away from Nailbomb's point blank record from 1994. This is the Recommendal Podcast. I'm Mark. And I am Jason. And here we are. It's uh it's been a been a little bit since we recorded. Um 
we did those two fudge tunnel episodes before MDF, I believe. And um, I think so. We were trying to figure out if we could schedule this nail bomb before I left for Italy. And, um, you know, you were getting ready in the process of leaving for, for decibel and it just didn't work out. So, um, but luckily for our, our Patreon fans out there, we did release a a brutality episode, um, for people to kind of keep them held over. So if you were, if you were really like salivating for more Requiem because we were a three-week gap instead of a two-week gap, then I guess it's time for you to sign up and become a Patreon. Get get, <laughs> get more get more bang for your buck, I guess you know. So, but yeah, it's been a you know a busy busy couple weeks for I think both of us. Actually, really a busy month. We were just kind of commenting before. Um, Mark, you've been in the throes of you know this really cool metal connected project that you've sort of been working on and. Um, you know, various, you know, both of us have been on multiple plane trips. <laughs> so the, yeah. <laughs> the last four weeks, so it's been pretty wild. So how was, uh, how was Decibel Fest? I, I, it looked like a good time. It was great. I mean, as usual, it's, um, you know, when I look at the lineup, um, there's like, you know, a couple bands I'm really stoked for and a couple I'm like, eh, whatever, who cares? Uh-huh. And then by the time the whole thing's over, it's like, oh, I didn't, I would have not ever listened to this band, but the performance was like, for instance, like Soul Glow. Oh yeah, yeah. I saw some footage of them. They seem pretty cool. They, like, yeah, they they were good. It's not like you know my thing, but I can appreciate what they're doing. Um, but I was I went up to Albert, like, like Fishbone kind of or something like that, or uh, more like that. Um, what is that band called? Fucked up, or it's like this really kind of spastic hardcore shit okay. with like noise elements. Sure. Okay. Um, one of the guys just I think they had did they have two singers? No, that's not one of the other bands that was playing. Um, but I went up to Albert and was like, are these guys like into you know Eddie Murphy's you know coming to america because that was like wasn't that his like his his band soul glow or something yeah it's, it's minus the w but he's like oh yeah, i have yeah, no yeah. idea what you're talking about i was like oh okay oh, so, <laughs> but yeah in general it was just uh i mean candle mass was the holy shit that was like the the thing and yeah. you know we got our same spot as uh last time the, our little balcony spot nice yep yep yeah. uh carl Cumpy came right back up he's like oh i figured you guys would be up here and nice. uh, <laughs> hung out with him and his buddy chris and uh oh, you know i got to see dan zadar for the first time in 20 years and yeah fucking a shout out to dan zadar uh a former writer for requiem and eclipse and just uh kind of like uh prolific underground you know tape trader metal tape trader from, yeah. on all the different like metal boards and stuff online and you yeah. He's an institution. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it was like seeing Candlemas there with, you know, the original session singer, now permanent singer is like, it was just so fucking good. That, so everybody good I heard said Candlemas was, was pretty, pretty remarkable. So yeah, uh, even like the, I got, this was like my uh, uh, death evocation and me and uh, this brewery, uh, Cosmic Eye Brewing came up with a uh, kind of a collaboration beer and I got to do the can for it and met all those guys and, a lot of like the the main dude Sam from Cosmic Eye was like, you know, I've never people keep telling me about Candlemass, and I've never really given him much of a you know listen. And then the next day he's like, holy shit, man, that was just fucking incredible, <laughs> just fucking heavy. I'm sure. Oh, just just, just great. I mean, yeah. just perfect. That's uh, fun. all those guys. You know, they all fucking seem like they're loving it, having a great time. Like Leaf was, I think he had some health issues in the last couple of years, or um, he seemed just in really good spirits and great form. So that was good. You know, cannibal was, was great. Uh, death evocation, seeing those guys play, they opened up the second day. Oh, cool. And, um, I've gotten to know the singer and guitar player gots fairly well over the last, 
what year or so. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he was hanging out with us last year a bit. So and uh, yeah, doing the the beer can and the t-shirt design and stuff with him, you know, chatting, seeing them. They hadn't played in I don't know how many years, and they uh, they went off without a hitch. Cool, because because God's is really like, oh, you know, we didn't have as much time to practice as like, and it sounded fucking amazing. Good. Like I I recognize every song. <laughs> nice. So. But yeah, for people uh, just just discovering us for the first time, perhaps Nailbomb being a, a bigger name than than some of the bands we sort of cover uh, because of the involvement of Max uh, Cavalera, who you actually heard at the beginning of this episode briefly introducing Wasting Away there. Um, this is uh, man, thirteen years, fourteen years. I think we're yeah, I think we're two thousand. Yeah, we're fourteen. Yeah, next year will be our fifteen year anniversary uh, in twenty twenty three. So it's pretty cool. We were early to the podcast game. We had a hiatus or two, but yeah, we never we never went away totally. Yeah, now we're uh, now we're back, kind of full force, kind of up the game. But yeah, Mark and I's background is uh, in journalism and in uh, Mark with with a lot of graphic design and art for for albums and various labels and, and different uh, now magazines with Decibel. Um, and then myself uh, and Mark were both involved in Eclipse Magazine, which was kind of a spiritual sequel to Requiem, um, which Mark and Chris, who's a frequent guest of ours from Decibel, uh, Chris Dick, um, kind of started. So, yeah, we're basically just kind of doing deep dive analysis on kind of the, the history of various genres and albums and movements and um, bands and, and things like that. So, uh, yeah, after COVID, we kind of like we had all this time and like, well, let's, let's do something that's worthwhile and sure. positive during this like shit time. I know. And that's I know. like kind of started with, if you go back and listen to the neurosis, what is it? Three part, um, uh, four part, yeah, four part show. Yeah. Like, I don't even know how many hours that was at that point, but that was kind of our first, you know, dipping our foot into the formula of inter- like putting interview clips and sure, you know, kind of like, you know, you come up with like background, you know, music influence kind of segments to put into it. And, like really, really go deep. And that's going yeah, to kind of resonate with people. People have really enjoyed it. And, and, and not saying that we'll always do sort of uh, the background stuff for every episode, because it's not always sort of relevant, but um, you know, a band like fudge tunnel, because of especially, you know, we got a lot of good feedback from those two fudge tunnel episodes that we just recently did. It's kind of really a sequel to nail bomb. They, they really sort of fit together in a lot of ways. So if you enjoyed those fudge tunnel episodes, uh, I think you'll dig hopefully what we're doing here with Nail Bomb. Uh, we'll actually hear from Alex uh, again because I decided to re-include a couple of his clips about Killing Joke and Godflesh since it was relevant to both episodes. Just in case people didn't listen to the Fudge Channel episodes, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, uh, you know, Alex kind of walked us walked through people a lot of his influences that that sort of led to why he made some of the musical choices that he did and. Uh, Max will talk a little bit about that too. And so we're, we're going to kind of take that same format here with, with nail bomb um, an album that was, you know, fairly near and dear to, to me and my group of friends. And I'll, I'll definitely get some insight into kind of how you and Chris probably absorbed this differently. I'm sure at the time, <laughs> uh, just based on where you guys were in your, your own musical journey and stuff. Sure. But you kind of heard it there with wasting away sort of the formula of nail bomb, I guess, you know, that, um, we're talking about Max Cavalera of Sepultura fame and um, talking about Alex Newport um, from from Fudge Tunnel, a uh, British musician. Um, and they're going to tell the story about how they kind of met in America and Max's wife was sort of involved in, in all of that. Um, but they do a lot of, you know, they, they trade off vocally. You heard that in Wasting Away. 
you know, there's some kind of beat uh, discharge, kind of punkish kind of elements that are definitely there. Um, really killer kind of, of like bass driven sort of sounds and even some like epic kind of KSAD era or maybe maybe a rise on, on a few songs here and there. Uh, kind of Sepultura, like groovy thrash kind of parts blended in. You know, you had a spastic, noisy solo. There's a lot of, you know, industrial, noisy kind of things kind of happening here. Um, and just a lot of pure raging kind of energy, you know, and, and um, according to Max, um, you know, some mixture of some sonic youth and motorhead kind of blended together in terms of what Alex was doing to get some of the, the sounds on that song. And uh, yeah, pretty, you know, it's a, it's a song that kind of kickstarts the whole Point Blank album. And so I thought, uh, let's let's kick off things with that. And interesting note about Wasting Away. Um, are you familiar, Mark, with the it's a really fantastic film that if you haven't seen it in the last few decades, it's worth a revisit. And I just actually bought it on Blu-ray, um, but it was actually on the soundtrack to the Gus Van Zant film to die for that Nicole Kidman movie. Which is super strange that it, it showed up in that movie. And have, have you have you ever seen that to die for? I saw it when it first came out, but I don't really remember much about it. It's very clever and very cynical and dark and manipulative. Um, it, uh, yeah, it's cool. It's 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 it has some noirish elements to it, even though it doesn't look noir, but it kind of feels noirish. And so it's 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 probably one of my favorite Van Zant movies. He's kind of, kind of hit or miss for me sometimes, but. Um, that one's a that one's a good one, and the fact that Nail Bonds on the soundtrack is just completely bizarre. I didn't know that until like recently doing research. So was that pre Eyes Wide Shut? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So Kidman, that uh, she was just probably coming off of like uh, Thunder Road, Far and Away, <laughs> and things like that. Are you thinking okay. Days of Thunder? Days of Thunder, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thunder Road's a Bruce Springsteen song, but mm. she could have been in that too if it was a movie. Um, yeah, and she was doing like movies like. Day- Dead again, right? With Sam Neill. Wasn't she in that? I think so. Yeah. You know, so she was kind of still doing kind of some darker, darker stuff before she went a little bit more mainstream. But she's interesting as an actress. She's kind of, you know, she ebbs and flows, but like she does stuff like Eyes Wide Shut or The Others or, or things like that, where I'm like, okay, you know, I don't love everything you're in, but occasionally you make some kind of interesting choices compared or to even, what, yeah, like the Northman she was just in too. Yeah, I forgot she was field. That's on Paramount Plus. I, I was going to try and watch it before I left for Italy. Uh, I just couldn't find like the time to come down in my movie theater and, and focus on something. Because every time like I would be watching something, I was like, oh, I got to go do this and pack this and get this ready and stuff. So it's definitely a movie that demands your attention. Yeah. And I, I plan to, you know, I plan to watch it. I want to watch it in my, the downstairs theater since I didn't get to go. But, uh, but yeah, I just got back from Italy while um, Mark and Chris were, were over in uh, Philly for... Um, uh, death and beer fest um yeah it was good trip i was just telling mark off mike before we started that the uh the tour director the guy that uh takes you know kind of is in charge of us um because i take a group of students over with me he's a musician uh, i got a cd um it's pretty cool he's uh, into like dark wave synth post-punk kind of stuff industrial um and heat man yeah like day one we're on the bus and he made like a cabaret voltaire reference and i was like okay i think i'm gonna get a lot <laughs> with this guy you know he had just seen all over a couple weeks he we talked about killing joke a whole bunch which is super irrelevant to this episode and um he's a fan of ministry and so i was like ah we're about to do i first of all i said i think you're going to dig the fudge tunnel episode even though you don't know those guys because just all that like background stuff is going to really like you know feel good for you and um i said i sent him this nail bomb 
kind of CD. And I was like, yeah, I think you'll dig this too. Cause he likes ministry and some of that. So, um, but yeah, so it was a good trip. Um, you know, we we're, we had some weirdos on our trip, not my group, but we were grouped with some other people from Texas. And there was, uh, we called, there was a mother daughter combo that, um, were like kind of the Cro-Mags. Um, <laughs> that's what we kind of refer to them as the one daughter. And then we were with this kid that was just like the weird girl from Bob's burgers, but like weirder, um, the girl with glasses. So, um, I forget the character's name on Bob's burgers, the daughter. Yeah. The daughter with dark the, hair. Where's the hat? Oh, uh, uh, no, no, no. The, the older daughter. Glasses. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I haven't seen that show in years, but it's... yeah, that girl was on our trip with us and we were like, okay. So it's just a lot, a lot, a lot of strange characters. So but, muttering yeah. to herself and yeah. For, oh, for sure. Yeah. Tina. Tina's Tina. her name. Yep. 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 Tina Belcher. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, anyways, it was, it was good. Um, got to watch some airplane movies. So I watched the new scream, which was like, okay. Like I, I like the idea of what it was doing better than actually watching it. You know, like I get it's like meta about like the current like wave of horror films and trends and stuff. So yeah, it, you know, it's a perfect for an airplane movie. It's not anything you need to invest in. But I did see the new Ghostbusters, um, which I, I like. I saw it, but I didn't bring my headphones, so I watched it in closed captioning, and it was uh, uh, it was fine. The the last little arc, I got a little, I got a little emotional. I've got to say. Um, well, it's the I think it's the first one of these like rebootish, you know, trying to reboot a franchise where they don't shit on all the material before it. For sure, yeah, it was really yeah, it's it was like very reverential. Yep. Yeah, like and I like that the fact that nobody those guys aren't really in it until the very end, and then you know, like ghost shit was was uh, fine, and like all yep. that stuff was it was just like that's what you need out of the movie. You don't need to, you know, like. Uh, Last Jedi treatment or the Obi Wan Kenobi treatment. It's just like why even, why are we even dealing with these characters if we don't, if there's no love for them, if they're just like sure. reviled. So I, I feel like that's kind of like a step in the right direction. That and yeah. from what I've heard, the Top Gun. I don't give a shit about Top Gun. No, I've heard it's good. I've heard but it's good. I'm curious just to see the uh, the actual, you know, the cinematography of the flights and stuff. I don't really care about the story as much, but sure, sure. Um... Yeah, I thought it was cool too with the new Ghostbusters that like Jason Reitman was involved in it as like a kind of a tribute to his dad, and, and yeah, that was yeah. cool. Just yeah. like there was just kind of some meta things happening in that movie and stuff. But it but didn't yeah, it was, see over. It didn't seem like overly uh, by committee. Yeah, it seemed like it had uh-huh. a vision by you know a handful of people in the, um, and not just like okay, I got to have my two cents put in and like how a lot of some of these movies can be. Even like the I, I haven't seen it, but I haven't heard really good things about that last uh, Doctor Strange. That was okay. We're just kind yeah. of a mess, but yeah, it's 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 messy. But when it's like good, it's like pretty interesting, you know. But uh, when they let Ramy kind of go full Ramy, it gets pretty fun, you know. And that's so. the only reason I really would care to even see yeah. it. But I'm starting to feel like my dad. That movie's now. He's like, yeah, who cares? <laughs> then I, I went back and watched like Capricorn One. <laughs> gotcha. gotcha. 1980 with uh, who the fuck was in that? Uh, Brolin. Brolin. James Brolin, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Where they basically fake. It's almost like a, a riff on faking the moon landing. <laughs> okay. Uh, Hal Holbrook. It's it's good. It's from 1980. Or sure. Yeah, yeah. I can I remember the movie like the like VHS box and stuff like that. And I think I've seen it part of it on TV before. But yeah. But yeah. So um, I you know so yeah. So Mark's been busy with his stuff. I've been busy with ours. We did we did unite for. I don't know if we recorded um, after Death Fest. Did we? 
I don't believe so. I think Fudge Tunnel was out before that, but yeah, we uh, we got the team back together at Death Fest. That was very cool to meet some people that I've been like friends through the podcast for years, like Chris Ayers. Um, you know, finally to meet him for me. I know you've met him before. Oh yeah, um, yeah, that was the that was your first time. Yep. Um, you know, Jason Manchild. Um, that's not his real, but that's what he goes uh, with on on Facebook. And he and Chris like team up and and do a lot of like writing about metal and stuff, kind of like the the history heavy metal countdown that I I was sort of doing uh, there for a while. So so it's cool to meet him face to face. Jason Walton from Agalock, who's going to be joining us uh, in the near future on some episodes. We've been kind of talking with him for for quite a while. So. You know, got to see Blake briefly, you know, after be doing the Misfits show and, and mm-hmm. stuff. And uh, finally got to meet Joe Schaefer face to face, who's about to probably by the time we release this in the next few days or whatever, um, put on his Northwest uh, Terror Fest or you know, Northwest Terror Fest. Yeah. Um, where Ludacra and some other bands are kind of reuniting for for that. So, um, yeah. So very cool. That, that's I, like I, his uh, what, like it's been off for two years. And yeah, so it's like a, the. the the fourth one that he's doing. So, um, yeah. So, you know, if you're, if you're a listener out there, hopefully you're, you're going to that. Um, cause that's very cool to, to sort of get that. It's kind of a different type of festival, uh, metal festival for the U S you know, up in Seattle there. So, but yeah, back to, uh, back to where, where we're at. Um, we did get a chance. Um, I, I may have mentioned it maybe on the patron show. I can't, I can't remember, but I've mentioned, I think somewhere that we did get a chance to talk to Max and, Max was jovial, uh, was Gregorius. He was uh, really a fun, fun person to sort of talk to. And um, I got yelled at by his publicist because we talked for too long. <laughs> and uh, I don't think Max cared, and I certainly didn't. But uh, you know, I, I shared that story with Albert, and he said that that did not surprise him uh, based on who that person was, who I will not name for my own professional reasons. But yeah, it was. Uh, anyways, it was. Well, it was we, al- we also got to see him and Igor. Oh, doing the beneath remains and arise speaking of set list holy speaking shit of things because you had seen them before correct a couple times yeah in the 90s oh, yeah. me never i i uh i i missed the boat i was too young during the ksad kind of tour and and by the time the second kind of phase of sepultura was emerging i i kind of was not that interested anymore plus max had kind of left and formed soulfly and all that stuff so that was a that was a big one for me. It was all, almost like seeing Carcass uh, reunite for the first time, and I was like having kind of that that teary eyed almost moment of like, wow, this is a it's a big part of my childhood with Sepultura. You know those those records. You know, rise. well, how many like uh, like you know South American or at least Hispanic people were there? Oh, uh, was incredible. Like the the energy that was coming off that crowd was crazy. Matt, you could tell Max was just loving it. Yeah. Yeah. When he even talked about that, um, you won't hear it in this episode, but yeah, at the beginning of my interview with him, he was just like so pumped to be doing these shows and the tour. And he's like, oh, it's great to play these songs. And yeah. So I, I just think he's having fun again, you know, not that he yeah. wasn't, but he's kind of rediscovered his his love of, of some of the stuff. And um, that's, that's pretty evident, but yeah, MDF was great. Um, there was a lot of, a lot of fun things kind of happening there. So um, got to see some, some black metal stuff I didn't think I would see, you know, Dark Fortress and Sacramentum and, and things like that. They were were pretty neat and um, get to see some yeah. cunnilingus during autopsy. Yep. So some <laughs> some, some, some Trypticon, some cunnilingus, you know. Hellhammer was fucking incredible. Yeah, that was great. That was a really fun fun thing. So, but yeah, so you know, basically what we're doing with Nail Bomb is um, 
kind of going to go through a little bit of the background history and then Max will sort of talk a little bit about their influences. And the first set uh, that you'll hear coming up will be about the, those influences and we'll feature some samples of some of those influences. Um, some bands that we've played on the podcast before, you know, and um, yeah, just kind of a, a giving you a little bit of context for where these guys were sort of coming from. Um, not that we can do that completely, but at least like dip our toes in that a bit. Um you know, originally the project was called Hate Project and then Sick Man before they kind of settled on Nail Bomb. And um, I'll let Max describe why uh, they, they ended up going with Nail Bomb and all that kind of stuff uh, in his own words. It's a, probably way cooler hearing it from him. Um, and it was released on Roadrunner in 94. Uh, and it was basically, like I said, this collaboration between Alex and Max with some drum work um, and being mostly electronic, most of the drums and stuff were programming, but occasionally, you know, Igor uh, shows up. Um, Andreas uh, will be there. Um, and then Dino. Uh, Dino from, from Fear Factory. Factory. Yep. Yeah. Yep. He'll be in, uh, you know, a 24-hour bullshit and stuff. Um, and they were kind of working on the project on and off for a couple of years. In fact, they were working on Nail Bomb, I believe, while Max was recording KSAD and stuff. So, I think uh, he'll tell the story later in one of the, the the interview clips, just kind of like how they they took Fudge Tunnel, I think, as an opening band, and that's where him and Alex kind of struck up a friendship. And and uh, I'll kind of tell some some stories about that as well. But um, I did find one article that actually came out in August of 2020, so kind of right smack in the middle of COVID summer there. From I believe he has since passed away. You might correct me if I'm wrong, but Malcolm Dome from Metal Hammer didn't he recently pass? Yeah, away? he did pass recently. Yep, um, he was kind of go to dude on any of those like Talking Head. Oh, for uh, sure. Documentaries. He was always great. He's in. I use uh, the Seven Ages of Rock, a BBC series, in my rock and roll history class, and he's in a lot of those episodes, especially the metal one and a few of the others. Um, he's good. Um, yeah, the whole like yeah, album uh, thing. He's kind of a. Uh, I don't know. Like he's had the enthusiasm that he had for that stuff is palpable. For sure. Yep. Yep. Um, this is from Metal Hammer, and it was an article he wrote called Nail Bombs Point Blank, the Explosive Legacy of 90s Metals, uh, 90s Metals Greatest Supergroup. So, and uh, his little intro here, I thought I'd, I'd read this as kind of a, a talking point for our dis initial discussion. He says, uh, it's 1994. 10 years after George Orwell predicted social meltdown and legalized terrorism. And where does the music industry stand? It's in complete confusion. Kurt Cobain has just put a shotgun to Nirvana's career and sent grunge spiraling towards nostalgia. What was needed was a musical tirade that would shake the shit out of the obese metal underground. It came as nail bomb. And when they exploded, all preconceptions were shredded and the agenda for new metal was set. Their debut and to date only album, point blank was a blast of detuned dysfunctional anger there was a genuine fury here that combined metal hardcore and industrial music for the blanked generation in real terms Nailbomb were were more of a two maniac project from the band featuring then sepultura frontman max cavalera and alex newport from british brain bashers fudge tunnel so i thought that kind of sets the context a little bit there and i think you know for me um and my group of friends, we were soundly into KSAD and Arise. Um, maybe by then we had discovered Beneath the Remains, perhaps on cassette tape. I know I didn't even have a CD player yet, I think, when this came out, because I originally just had this on cassette. Um, Slayer, Pantera, White Zombie, 
ministry helmet rage those were kind of our foundations at this point um i mean this was the spring of my freshman year of high school so um i think it came out like if i remember right the same time that bc boys ill communication came out so we were like at an age where we were obsessively watching the the sabotage like mtv video and like trying to trying to spread our wings a little bit as kind of you know high school freshmen or whatever um you know, we had just discovered, I think, Fear Factory, Obituary, Carcass, and maybe some of the other kind of big uh, roadrunner and earache kind of extreme stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Relapse, Nuclear Blast, and Century Media were still a, a Chris Dick New Moon meeting away uh, sophomore year. So, you know, that's kind of where I was at. So this like hit pretty big for us because it's it's all that stuff kind of in a weird way, right? It's it's. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's like extreme, the ministry, extreme, you know, yeah, ministry helmet and Sepultura. I saw that was a that was a tour that I saw down at the what the hell is it? It's in I think it was in Battle Creek. Oh wow! And okay. like a month or so before, or maybe it was the year before. Um, because that was the year before Beastie Boys like Check Your Head tour was there. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that um, makes seeing perfect. that shit and then like yeah, seeing seeing Fudge Tunnel, Fear Factory, and Sepultura at the Capitol Theater in Flint. Mm-hmm. It was just like all that stuff was just hitting all at once. And it was kind of, it might've been maybe the last big year before things started to kind of, I don't know, before like the new metal thing started to kick in and a lot of, um, I was getting disinterested in a lot of it, to be honest, but like, but we're still like, it was nice to be able to have like heavy stuff that was mainstream enough where we could have, you know, large groups of people you know, within your friend group could go see a show and, you know, like somebody is like really into helmet and, you know, you might be more into Sepultura or whatever, but it was just, it was interesting that how varied heavy music was at that time. Yeah. And nobody just, felt great. Yeah. It's almost like you didn't have to quite specialize yet. The pool was still like pretty large and you could still like, I feel like in 94, you could still be like a fan of Pantera and like be into like death metal. And sure. I feel like, like a year later, even like a year, year and a half later, by like late 95, early 96, like you kind of had to pick your team, you know, that's how we felt at least, you know, and we, we were definitely going into the more extreme route. And um, even though I did buy like Southern trend kill in 96 and I really, I, it's a really, actually a really good record. It might actually be their best record of that era, but like, I didn't spend as much time with it because I was just kind of getting into anathema or I was, you know, discovering like Swedish melodic death metal. And, you know, like I just, that stuff seemed like different and unique. Um, And I wasn't really interested in the mainstream stuff as much anymore. And yeah, I think you could maybe, maybe make an argument that 93, 94 is like the peak of like kind of commercial mainstream underground metal, you know, like the Mm -hmm. earache deal with Columbia is kind of at its peak around 93, 94, um, Morbid Angel Covenant had just come out, you know, like MTV still had Headbangers Ball. Grunge was still sort of dominating like mainstream MTV. So you were consistently seeing Alice in Chains and Soundgarden videos like next to TLC and shit like that. And it was like, okay, yeah. that's, that all seemed normal, <laughs> you know? And I think like, you're right. I think by like 95, like the the sort of, you know, I mean, the air kind of goes out of the balloon in a lot of ways when, when Cobain kills himself. I, I mean, I, I can like, kind of now see that as like a marked kind of place. And um, maybe you didn't know it at the time that the, the gig was up that this, you know, the sort of like beautiful early nineties weirdness boom with like nine inch nails and ministry being kind of in mainstream pub, you know, public culture that was about to end, you know, like, uh, you know, 
all those bands had reached their peak. And um, by like 96, eh, you're not hearing Nine Inch Nails on the radio anymore. You know what I mean? Like you're not. No, you're it, not got, it got dumbed stuff. down real quick yeah. and uh, absorbed into, you know, just kind of like mainstream shit with yeah with new metal with like what pop music was doing at the time pop kind of came back in a big way with the you know britney spears and the boy bands and yeah it was yeah, almost but, like but not a, in a not in a way that made me feel like you know like uh, when i think of pop i'm thinking of like you know beatles and beach boys and oh, stuff sure, that, that still sure. had like merit this was just yeah. like everything was so watered down and yeah, so you get your um, matchbox 20s and and some of the, uh, <laughs> the like vanilla like melted vanilla ice cream type yeah it was like by by committee like you know these all these things were, were strategically put together and that i think all the energy from the early 90s kind of fizzled out by yeah you know the end of the decade yeah for sure you know um i mean i think it's telling that 94 is the like debut of corn too it's almost yeah. like a, a portent you know there was there was evidence that things were happening but no one really knew what that meant in 94 you know my friends and i were okay to be into corn because we didn't know that it was leading to something else it was just like a heavy album you know like we were like oh okay it's just like it's like buying corrosion conformity deliverance there's yeah. corn too, i mean like yeah like uh yeah ksad and nail bomb i think directly led and faith them more and a handful of other bands directly led to that corn sound sure. you know the bass the whatever the fuck was going on with the bass like however yeah, it was like detail yeah, seven string guitar and, and all that kind yeah. of stuff that they were doing you know and i remember when we saw like the the album cover for point blank like you know the cover and the layout like it it, it endlessly fascinated us kind of the same way um that like ksad and, and rage did in terms of like the politics you know like mm -hmm. those were like in a lot of ways those two records chaos and rage were two of my entryways into like starting to think of music in a political way you know that like these are protest songs, you know, and like, they're talking about like dangerous stuff sometimes. And I didn't always know cause it was pre-internet for the most part. I didn't know like what the stories were, but I knew that like something was like there. And yeah. so I kind of got that same kind of energy and it was actually, I think Jeff that had discovered nail bomb first. And we actually didn't know who fudge tunnel was. Um, cause I think it's not I surprising. I think most people were like, who the fuck is? they just thought it was like another, you know, Max Cavalera thing. Like who's this, yeah, oh, Newport. Other unless guy. you'd seen them play, or you, the only reason I knew about Fudge Tunnel was because they're on Earache, mm. and you know, hearing that early on was like hate songs. I was like, oh, this is a fucking cool heavy record because I like the you know some of the early you know grunge shit, the first like Smashing Pumpkins record and mm -hmm. early early um, Soundgarden. It was always good to have like a record that didn't have death metal vocals, so you could play it in front of girls or people yeah, that weren't necessarily sure. into such obnoxious music yeah yeah no and i mean like, even to this day like my dad finally asked me like what does this stuff sound like that you listen to and i played him merciful fate he's like <laughs> what <laughs> it just made no sense to him at all i guess like, if oh, i showed him the video and it was like okay it was like you get it's like the you know the spooky halloween shit like alice whatever. cooper yeah yeah, yeah that's yeah. kind of how i was explaining it to him yeah that's funny <laughs> no, I, I mean, like, I think ninth, 10th grade for me is like kind of where my, my real political awareness was starting. Like I, the, the future history teacher was kind of being born where I was like, I was engaged with things that a lot of my peers weren't. And that's not because like they were not intelligent. They just weren't as interested in that stuff. And I mean, there's a reason I'm teaching the classes I teach today, you know, when you're interested in what's, you know, the, the stories behind art and movies and stuff too and some people just enjoy them on their face value but i think both of us really appreciate like learning where the director's you know head was at or you know what the 
the band was, you know, into politically at the time or something. Yeah, for sure. You know, so like I could kind of smell the politics on it and I said, maybe even taste them, but I couldn't fully understand them yet. You know, mm-hmm. this is also like around the time of, I, I, I think i mentioned this w- way back when we recorded the rust in peace episode where I had like ill-fated, like rust in peace concept album, conspiracy theories that I was like, perpetrating. <laughs> I was like, guys, it's a, it's a whole story. And I was like unfolding the story. And then I found out, no, it wasn't a story. Um, I think I was listening to too much Pink Floyd at the time, probably, you know, yeah. so, like it was just like the wall and shit like that was kind of definitely on my, uh, on my radar screen. But um, in that Malcolm Dome kind of interview, um, I, I wanted to read a couple things from, I think it's mostly from Max. Yeah. And he says, and he'll expand on this in the sound clips you'll hear from Max as well. But I thought this was pretty succinct. He says, um, we met when Fudge Tunnel supported Sepultura on the European leg of one of our tours. I was already a fan of what Alex did with Fudge Tunnel. And then I found out he lived in Phoenix, which is where I live. It seemed natural for us to get together to play some music and write some songs. And um, Malcolm uh, goes on and says, at first, the pair had no intention of doing anything other than play with their ideas. But it was actually uh, Gloria, Max's wife, that, that got involved. And Max says, yeah, she's one of the big surprises in all of this because I never thought Gloria would have any interest in what we were doing. But she was the one who pushed the two of us into turning this into our record and got us to deal with Roadrunner. I always maintained that Gloria was the brains behind what we did. Uh, We were genuinely excited by the thought of going into the studio. Uh, That may sound a bit odd when anywhere can be turned into a studio. But back in 94, it was all very different. I guess that Alex and I took different views on the record. He was the knob twiddler, the real producer. What did I do? Fuck shit up and get real drunk. In fact, there were times when I was so drunk that I don't actually remember doing things. Uh, one day I'd gone through a whole bottle of rum by 4 p.m. Alex wasn't impressed and complained to Gloria. I think he, <laughs> he'll actually tell that story a little bit differently in uh, some of the clips you'll hear a little bit later, you know. And then just to sort of wrap up uh, this little thing from from um, Malcolm, it says, uh, principal influences on Ma- Nailbomb were bands like Ministry and Godflesh. But there were distinct differences in the way the two men involved approached music. Alex was more into samples than I was, says Max. To me, it should have uh, should have had to have a live feel in the studio. I was into the hardcore of bands like Discharge, and I can never imagine them being ruled by machines. So we came to an understanding that there would be a mix of both on the album. That's the reason we got Igor and Andreas from Sepultura, plus Dino from Fear Factory, and then Richie uh, Bujnowski, uh, the guitarist with a band called Wicked Death. We got the live feel sorted, and Alex also got to put in those samples. And so that's kind of really, there's not a lot of, um, I mean, Max will talk about some of the theories behind the, the cover and, and the lyrics and things and some of what they were kind of trying to achieve. But this is sort of like a happy accident. It's not like a, a, a well, it's not like an intellectualized idea that the two of them came together to create a super group to achieve this thing. It just sort of, it's almost a track by track thing. Like it's they, they finish a track and put up a new track. Like it, I don't think they really had an album idea. Yeah, say. no, I agree. And, and, and yet, in a weird way, the album is super cohesive, and it's strange. Like the sequencing, like fits together, and and that seems weird in the way it was produced because it wasn't produced as an album, like you said, track yeah. by track. And yet, there is kind of like an emotional flow especially when you get near the end of the record, like it, it has like a culmination almost. And that's pretty remarkable to me, you know, like, um, and, and probably, you know, kudos to Alex for being able to sort of 
pull that off because that was probably more Alex that was able to thread the needle through a lot of that stuff, you know? Yeah, I feel that, that uh, Max is, he's like the, I mean, he plays, he only has four strings on a six string guitar, you know, the top four <laughs> strings, which yeah. makes a lot of sense. But yeah. he's also able to come up with these riffs that are so like, almost like, like Tom G Warrior, where they're mm. so fucking simple that like, haven't I already heard that before? But usually not. It's all about like gut and feel. And I think the reason this works is because, you know, Alex is the, anal retentive guy that would rather be in the studio, you know, putting this thing together than actually playing in front of people. Yeah. And, and then it just seems like a really good heart. mix. Yeah. 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 It's like the heart and the brain kind of like coming together and in yeah. a perfect sort of medium, you know, absolutely. I think, I think you're, you're onto something there, you know? And I mean, Max, you know, mentioned some of the influences there and he'll speak to those influences in a bit as well. Alex and a couple of Alex clips here. Um, but like, you know, I think, I think like a good way of describing it is probably in the simplest terms that it's like if Godflesh and like discharge kind of made like a record together or something like that with a heavy dose of ministry, you know? Yeah. He um, even says it. I don't know if it's one of these clips or one of something I was listening to on. I've listened to a couple of interviews and stuff on, he actually has a, Max has a channel on YouTube where he was going like over lockdown. He was going through riffs. Oh, no shit. goes through like wasting away and kind of talks a little bit about it, but uh -huh. saying, I think, whereas like it's make it heavier than God flesh and faster than ministry. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's what he, he'll say that in one of the clips kind of coming up that that was like their really their thesis statement. He's like, I love ministry, but I want it to be heavier. And I was like, okay, yeah. that's, that, that's why I liked this. You know, I guess the question I have for you guys, for you to maybe speak to you and Chris, like, by 94 spring like where did this fall on your guys's radar screen was it were you guys still enough into the ksad stuff that you cared about this or was this kind of one foot out the door era for you guys i remember just hearing whatever singles were we probably got serviced this it was definitely on the radar but it wasn't interesting enough to really garner too much of my attention because sure 95 was was coming well, up and there was some pretty huge things happening i mean norwegian black metal was kind of like breaking out in 94 and you know yeah. like i mean yeah there was the you know, at the gates was sort of doing terminal spirit and yeah so i think dissection and like I it was it. all Sky yeah, there's, there's a lot out. of stuff that was yeah was kind of, yeah like like because i think a lot of um this is something you can go back and i can appreciate it but on like one of the weird things is most I think almost every single band that I've ever had a kind of some kind of connection to, I've always, I can go back and kind of understand why. Mm -hmm. Um, and usually and, and even enjoy it, but like for some reason, Pantera, I can't, mm. but this was had, this has some of that like aggro feel. Sure. I, I can totally like get behind this. I can, I can figure it out, but I don't know what it is about Pantera that I just can't figure out. Like I, I can't get that feeling back of the mm. angry kid, you know? I think that would be that that'll be something interesting down the road for us to maybe do because it will be a interesting kind of clash be, only because Pantera is probably a band that obviously deserves some kind of scholarship at least in terms of the context of where they fit but like both you and I have kind of cycled through our Pantera era but I can I can still go back and kind of get a little nostalgic so it'd be interesting for you to I like to some like some stuff on like Cowboys standpoint. I can still kind of get behind Sure. And I really like power metal. I well, like, yeah, I was gonna say like the earlier those old more. records. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it'd be kind of interesting. But yeah, so 
So I'm glad that like you can still sort of find some some favor with with this, you know. Oh, absolutely, it's, it's you know. like a you know, it's it's a kind of it's crazy that it got popular. Yeah, got I, two guys doing exactly what they wanted to do. Just and it's a off. super non-commercial record in a lot of ways, but yet like it's super catchy too because there's like the those groove. That's what gets it through that whole '90s era. That groove thing that you know, Pantera is definitely up on the list of yeah, and White Zombie, and you know, yeah. kind of promoting that and pushing it out there, but. Yep, it's uh that's that's like the the takeaway as far as metal was concerned of that era is the groove. Yep, yeah, it's definitely the the peak of the groove because I think I think '94 is far beyond driven. So which debuted at number one on Billboard, which I think it's crazy was the heaviest <laughs> album that ever did that. You know, at that point. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, basically what we're gonna we're we're just gonna hear a couple of influences um on this record specifically. Um and Alex is gonna talk about Avalanche Master Song here from from Godflesh in a sound clip you'll hear after Max. But you know, this is uh, a tune from Godflesh's debut. I think we played it way back probably 10 years ago when we did a Godflesh episode. Um, you know, for <laughs> people that don't know Godflesh, you know, it's it's noisy, oppressive, cold, post-apocalyptic, you know, all the things you'd expect, especially with early, early Godflesh there. Um, you know, it's definitely on that path of the, the heavier ministry, you know, in a lot of ways mm-hmm. that, that uh, Max and, and Alex were trying to sort of pursue with the project. You know, I mean, lyrics like screw you in your world, uh, perpetually cut with lies. I could stand the pain for long enough, but the taste is just too bitter. Um you know, I mean, those are, those are, those are kind of the sentiments, the, you know, the sentiments of, of like an album, like point blank. So I could see why they would draw from, from what, you know, Godflesh was sort of doing, you know, there. And then we go on to a band that we, I think we've only played once before, even though we've talked a lot about them. I think we played them in the 1980 episode when we did the uh, countdown to episode 200 um, proto metal sort of countdown. Mm-hmm. And it was from uh, killing jokes debut. And this is from their second record. Uh, What's this for, which came out in 1981 and it's a tune called Butcher. And this is the song that Alex will talk about that um, Colin Richardson sort of played him when they were doing early kind of fudge tunnel stuff because he's like, well, I want my vocals to do this thing with um, this sort of weird distortion. And Colin's like, like this? And he goes, holy shit, yeah, how do I do that? And he taught him in the studio how to do that. And then I think Alex took what Colin taught him to do and did that with a lot of the vocals on Point Blank. So I thought this would be kind of appropriate for that, you know, even though it's maybe not the heaviest killing joke song that, it, you know, this is the one that Alex particular, like I think used as like a, a course to sort of teach him how to, to do some of the techniques he does on point blank, you know? Um, but yeah, it's their second release. They actually self-produced it, um, which, you know, in hindsight, some of the guys from Killing Joke are like, Ugh. <laughs> like we sh- we probably should have had somebody professional do it. But I-, I like it; it's a cool record, and it's still pretty heavy, you know. Um, but yeah, the 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 solo in it from Jordy uh, is really cool. Kind of reminds me of Bernard uh, Sumner from Joy Division in terms of like how it's kind of put together. Yeah. And um, this record's interesting too for a couple of reasons. One. Ministry cites what's this for as like the formula for like how they change their sound on Land of Rape and Honey um, towards a more heavier sound. And the opening cut on what's this for, speaking of God flesh, is called Fall Because. (laughs) And so Justin Broderick's project right before God flesh, after he he left Napalm Death, uh, was called Fall Because. So historically pretty interesting record for killing joke even though it's maybe not their most commercial or popular one of the 80s but um yeah pretty pretty interesting well even the like i can't believe how much i hear voivod 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, holy yeah. crap. That's pretty yeah. after seeing them, too, at, uh, at the Dust Bowl Fest. Like, they yeah. were fucking... That was the second time I seen them, I think. It was incredible. Yeah. No, everybody said that Voivod was was killer there. And I think, yeah, you listen to bands like um, Doi Kreitzen and, mm-hmm. and um, Killing Joke, and you can hear a lot of the, the weird choices. That, Especially like, Piggy's Voivod guitar playing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely there. And then a band that's kind of near and dear to our uh, our metal hearts, especially because we're big into Swedish death metal and Swedish death metal drew a lot from this. Not just Swedish death metal, but but that's one scene that in particular really, really adopted the D-beat um, from, from Discharge. And both these tunes that we're going to play a pair of short tunes that kind of fit together because they're, they're back-to-back on the record. But it's Hear Nothing, See Nothing, Say Nothing from 1982. They're kind of masterpiece. Um, you know, I mean, this is... Is it, do you think it's a is it an understatement, Mark, to say it's one of the most vital albums in extreme metal, extreme punk history? I, I yeah, I think that this record and um, I would say Venom <laughs> mm. are, are super instrumental in that, like uh, what Hellhammer would go on to kind of almost perfect. Yeah, that just like like noisy, caustic, um, like you didn't you didn't realize how even like um, uh, I remember you know talking with Scott Carlson about. Uh, discharge as well as like everything is about the fucking end of the world like the yeah. lyric the lyrics matched the how, what the music sounded like sure yeah no and it's it's pretty singular too i mean discharge did stuff on the y uh ep and things like this but they never quite got to this epoch you know like uh, again you know they kind of started to change their sound a little bit after and the that. weird the weird like f- like flangy echoey kind of reverb thing that's going on with it too it's just i nothing sounded like that yeah and it's like yeah. really easy to get into yeah yeah and so the the pair of tunes we're going to play hell on earth and cries of help um i was trying my damn hardest to not pick protest and survive because everybody's always heard that song you know <laughs> i think um, we played that before we have yeah we definitely had and, and then like i said i think these are companion pieces because hell on earth bleeds directly into cries of help mm-hmm. um and really, there's not anything super unique about Hell on Earth. It's it's pretty kind of straightforward, kind of discharge of this era. But but Cries of Help is pretty fucking awesome. And in particular, the second half of the song. And I think it fits well with this Nail Bomb episode because you get these samples near the end. Um, and you hear these terrifying screams of a child. And, you know, Cries of Help, Cries of Pain, you know, is what he's like kind of screaming throughout the song. And... and it's talking, I think, a little bit about um, either bombings in Vietnam or stuff like in Japan, fire bombings there and like the sort of, you know, children and villages that are sort of being killed. And and that's the kind of shit that's really I mean, you look at the cover of Nail Bomb, like that's kind of what this album is really sort of about. And so I thought Cries of Help, especially because Max was stealing so much from the kind of DB discharge kind of riffs uh, throughout the record. I thought this was would be a good one to sort of play. Um, using samples because obviously that's a big part of this nail bomb record too. You know, yeah, that, that type of like stark black and white photography is so important. I mean, I think it's you know it goes from discharge to dark throne to mm-hmm. um, there's just something about that that you can't. It's almost like a like a propaganda poster <laughs> or something, yeah. but like you know flipped on its head a little bit. It's just uh, like that, and then like the Rage Against the Machine cover was was that the guy from saigon that laid himself on fire or was that something else yeah no that was uh it was pre us really getting involved in vietnam um that rage cover was essentially um 
the immolation thing a buddhist monk yeah that uh, was kind of preparing for that and it was a protest actually against the dm government and there was the government that um we were kind of supporting in south vietnam and they were persecuting it was a catholic guy dm and he was obviously american and he was persecuting buddhists and so it's really funny when people see that rage uh cover or they they see that image they think that that's protesting like us being involved in vietnam and it wasn't it was actually just protesting their own kind of local government and um kennedy like thought that like he could kind of trust dm and he thought like okay we can work with this guy and they put that photo on Kennedy's desk. And there's this really famous photo of Kennedy with his hands buried, like, um, you know, or his head buried in his hands after somebody set that, that on the, on the, the desk. And um, that's kind of when Kennedy knew, like, like we can't work with this guy, like we're fucked. And a few, like within like a few weeks or a month or so later, um, the CIA sort of worked with local authorities and basically assassinated uh, that leader and Kennedy was pissed because he didn't authorize that. That's kind of when the CIA was doing like rogue operations and stuff. Yeah, they've never stopped, but it's no, uh, they haven't. They haven't. But like we, yeah, we we side with. <laughs> we don't always have a good history of siding with the the right side of history. Well, we just side with whoever is for our best economic first, interest, yeah, or, or self interest, yeah, yeah. It's like all the, you know, and we'll talk about this later, especially when we get to guerrillas. All the right wing dictators we sided with during the Cold War because they they used anti-communist rhetoric and that was good enough for us even yeah. even though they they butchered their own <laughs> people and shit you know but uh but yeah so you got a pair of discharge tunes there and then we're going to end with a tune that we'll talk more about why we played it uh when we sort of come back but it's from a band we have played before uh back on the the countdown the proto metal countdown on its bad brains and a tune from eye against eye from 1986 called sacred love so and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that when we come back. So you're going to hear from Max here. Uh, you'll hear from Alex a couple times, too, introducing the Godflesh tune. Um, we're going to start with Avalanche Master Song. Then we're going to uh, hear Butcher from Killing Jokes, What's This For? And then a pair of tunes, like I said, A Hell on Earth and Cries of Help from Discharge. And then we'll hear Sacred Love from Bad Brains, Eye Against Eye. So, so we had all my vinyl, and Alex had all his vinyl. So we had all these, like, like on a crate, you know, we have like like with like three crates of vinyl boxes, and I had all my discharge, broken bones, um, Finnish hardcore, ratos, cows, you know, all the shit I love. Um, and then Alex had all the stuff that he like. It was like a lot of weird shit, like big black songs about fucking and and uh, all this weird shit, Steve Albini shit, you know. Um, and, but for us, I think I think what drove me and Alex to the idea was we love ministry, but we wanted to hear a heavier ministry, you know, almost like uh, like God Flesh, but with hardcore. You know, how would God Flesh have had hardcore beats? Because God Flesh is all heavy, heavy grooves, but there's not a lot of speed on God Flesh. So we thought we thought this this would be nail bomb be cool to. to to bridge the gap uh like heavier than ministry faster than god flesh but we, with all the elements of, of both of those worlds with a lot of sampler i mean at that time you, you still could sampler without being hassle um so so we took a lot of shit from cool movies like there's stuff from apocalypse now there's stuff from platoon there's there's some shit from henry Portrait of a serial killer, Salvador. Yeah, there's a great one from Salvador. And 
and I love Sampler, man. I think it's cool. I think that's uh, it's a very like like Al Jorgensen's one of the best guys for sampling shit. You know, he, like he some of those Ministry sample. There's one in I think is uh might be Burning Side, um, but it's from it's from Cry Freedom, the the the, the movie with Denzel Washington. So he just took this tribal rhythm thing that was going on in the movie he put that on a minutes track and when i remember i remember watching the movie going oh shit that sounds like ministry and i went back to the ministry record listen just like this is where he took it motherfucker he took that shit from cry freedom that's crazy godflesh were and still are an incredible band i love them because they were sort of heavy and weird and not really metal band just way too weird and angular to be metal but still very heavy and aggressive I, the first time I saw them they had these like tiny little amps that they would put up their amps were so small they had to put them on chairs to to project the sound it was like these amps were like cornflake boxes and I was like what is this and then they they just hit play on this drum machine and started playing it's like the biggest cavernous ridiculous sound you've ever heard in your life from two guys playing amps the size of cornflake boxes just absolutely brilliant this song in particular was definitely a big influence and if you care to listen to spanish fly from hate songs in e minor you might possibly notice a few similarities <laughs>
Joe also hugely, hugely influential for for myself as a guitar player, and I think for the for the whole band, I, definitely that that super distorted guitar sound is fantastic. And but also the sort of hypnotic grooves, similar to to Loop and Gang of Four too, like Killing Joe, just sort of masters at that. But also, Jazz did a lot of really cool things with his vocals in the studio, which was very, very, very influential. On Gut Rot, the, the vocal effect was literally, we were, we were in the studio doing hate songs, and I played Colin this song, Butcher, and said, I want my vocals to sound like this. Like, what is it like? How does he sing like that? Or how do you do that? And, and Colin was like, oh, yeah, you just distort the hell out of it. And I was like, great, let's do it. So, you know, so you take a channel and just crank it on the desk until it really distorts. I just love that sound. So that was totally from Killing Joke. Um, tweezers, the vocal effects on Tweezers, also Killing Joke. And Sunshine of Your Love, the distorted vocals and the sort of weird effects. They're all over this record. And then, you know, an, another record that was absolutely huge for me and my friends growing up was Nighttime which is an amazing, amazing record.
Secret Love from Bad Brains, Cries of Help and Hell on Earth from Discharge, Butcher from Killing Joke, and then we kick things off with Avalanche Master Song from Godflesh. So, Mark, do you know why we played Sacred Love or why I put that song in there? Any ideas? I, I didn't know if you had found that out in your research at all. I did not. I was assuming you'd play something from the first album. You, you would assume, yeah. So, basically, what kind of happened, and um, they'll they'll talk a little bit about it Um both Max will tell the story and then it's in that Malcolm Dome kind of thing. But it was the vocal technique that was used on Sacred Love. Um, HR was in prison at the time when they were trying to finish that and he hadn't recorded uh, that. So he recorded his vocals over the phone. And so that's why the vocals on Sacred Love sound so weird. And that was the technique that they use for some of your achievements. Um, okay. We're going to be playing in the next set here from, from Nailbomb there. Um, 
Yeah, it's kind of cool. This is from the Malcolm Dome kind of article. It says, um, Newport came up with something uh, of a surprise approach for the chorus to the song, Some of Your Achievements. Max says, I was in Wales working on the mixes for the KSAD record with Andy Wallace. Alex was in Phoenix doing the Nail Bomb record when he realized that he needed me to do the chorus for the song. He called me up and asked, asked when I could do it, but I wasn't due to go back home for a while. Now, this was in the time before MP3s and emails really existed. So Alex suggested what seemed to us to be a novel solution, that I sang the stuff down on the phone. It was a crazy idea, but it worked. Mind you, it was a little odd. I was screaming my guts out uh, uh, down the phone <laughs> while all these normal people like chefs were wandering past. I don't know what they made of me. Like at the time, phone? Yeah, probably a payphone. <laughs> it's really funny. Uh, he says, at the time, Alex and I thought that we'd done something new with the phone chorus. We only found out later that Bad Brains had done it first, says Max, referring to Bad Brains' Sacred Love from their Eye Against Eye album, which singer HR had to record by phone from jail. So, yeah. So, just thought it was neat to sort of show where that that kind of technique kind of came from. Even if they didn't, like, directly steal from it, it gets, like, yeah. brought up in a lot of interviews and stuff. So, um, it's not like a, a favorite Bad Brains song or anything like that, but just kind of interesting you know, kind of yeah, their their output's pretty uh, hit and miss for me. It is, it is. Their early stuff's pretty fantastic. I against yeah. I is kind of their last great one that has like some pretty pretty strong songs on it and stuff. But uh, but yeah, so now it's kind of time to uh, to really kind of you know now the influences are out of the way. It's it's time to sort of dive into the meat of, of Point Blank. And it's interesting. Mark and I were both kind of commenting that like you know, in terms of show notes, this is like the least amount of show notes I've had for a show in a long time. And it's not because there's not much there, but a, we're really just focused on kind of one record, which is rare for us um, yeah. in recent times. And there's, like I said, there wasn't a lot of like intellectual sort of like um, theory behind how they assembled this record. And really Max does the lion's share of the lifting of the story through like a lot of these interview clips that you're going to hear. Um, and there's just, you know, so, so yeah, so it might be a little bit shorter of an episode for us, which is uh, rare. Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? We'll see. We'll yeah. Put together. Well, basically this first set, we're just kind of going in order of the way the record is. And it kicks off obviously with Wasting Away. And uh, then we get into Vitoma Noku. And um, Max will tell that means like, I want to fuck you in the ass or something. Yeah. Go get fucked yeah. up the ass or fuck you. And yeah. Max will actually tell the story story of the origin of the song's title um you know so i don't want to ruin that surprise you'll hear it uh you know right away when we, we cut to to this next set of music um but yeah it's just you know it's kind of churning kind of almost like a death metal um fear factory you know kind of riff that's sort of being built around that uh little fudge tunnel thrown in there obviously it reminds uh, me of the nomad riff yeah little, yep it's definitely got that too yeah um that's yeah, my only note for the song is Nomad. Nomad, yeah. <laughs> Just angry nihilistic lyrics, you know, um, a real indication of the mood you're about to escape into. Wasting Away is a little bit more kind of like a, I'll say upbeat, but it has a little bit more of that sort of discharge kind of like um, sing-along anthemic quality. And whereas this is like more like nihilistic, you know, and that's where a lot of this record's going to sort of be is, is very dark, very dystopian, very nihilistic towards a lot of things. Um and then that leads us right into 24-Hour Bullshit, which this is, uh, you know, in a lot of ways more prescient now than it was in 1994, you know, when really 24-Hour Cable wasn't really super prevalent. I mean, there was there was some... There was know, a couple could, networks, but yeah. You watch MTV like, late at night, but like... Yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah, 24-Hour News, and I mean, how many 24-Hour News stations are there? 
I know, I know. Hundreds at this point, like between like if you have like online things, like um, I've got a my TV took a shit the year or at the the day before the factory warranty expired. Oh, okay. So I went back to Best Buy and they're like, "Wow, that's <laughs> that's pretty funny. This was gonna be expired, you know, tomorrow." I was like, "Yeah, that's tomorrow." Yeah. Well, no, I did this about a month ago. Oh, okay. Um, but as far as like the warranty, di- like TV dying the day before the warranty. Sure. Luckily, yeah. I went right in and did it. But there's like um, all these extra things, like Cheddar is another 24-hour news thing. There's all these other like little like app ch- channels. So hmm. it's just like it's fucking over the top. And then if you throw in, you know, people's Facebook feeds and Twitter, and like there's no there's no peace. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just like a constant barrage of signals, you know, penetrating your brain and things and like not, that. Not a whole lot of information being shared, but a lot of opinion being shared. Sure, yeah, and that's yeah. getting worse and worse and worse. And you know, the the facts are kind of. On, on most things are kind of at the periphery that you have to dig for. Yep. Yep. And, um, you know, from a sound standpoint, obviously that's Dino and guitar that you'll hear. And it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, you know, pretty, pretty much him right from the get go. And in a lot of ways, I think, you know, this, the, the sound he's achieving and like the, the pacing and the openness of the song compared to say like, um, the first fear factory, which I'm, I'm drawing a, a, a blank on soul of a new machine. Yeah. Um, this one sounds a lot more like the sound they're going to pursue uh, in 1995 with demanufacture, which we've done an episode on, you know, mm-hmm. just that sort of more, a little bit more groove, still fucking heavy, but more openness, you know, to like feel the weight of the riffs a little bit more. Um, it so kind of feels like, uh, like Alex got more, he has more invested on this and the song as well, as far as like, arranging it or something too it feels yeah. more like a fudge tunnel song yeah Especially more yeah. like the uh uh what is it the the last what was the last record they did the feudal art of Ig- uh, uh yeah the the feudal yeah, yeah. something of whatever I, yep we'll listen to the <laughs> last episode <laughs> something something rather yeah i don't know if i have fudge tunnel pulled up i don't i, I closed it down yeah, but, but yeah, yeah their last full length that's you're right. It sounds a lot like that. And demanufacture. It's kind of mm-hmm. like those two records kind of combined almost, you know. Um, and then in a lot of ways, demanufacture to me is almost the maybe the best companion piece to Point Blank. Like those two records almost like fit together in a lot of ways in terms of like who they're targeting. And you could throw that last Fudge Tunnel record in there. Mm-hmm. I think there's something kind of about those three records that all fit into that 94, 95 sort of space where it's still like heavy, but yet it's like catchy and, and it's got all that kind of stuff going on for it. Yeah. And, and the things they're targeting and talking about, you know, media manipulation, post-apocalyptic stuff, you know, it's all kind of their violence, all, all that. It's the, the um, complicated futility of ignorance. That's what it is. Thank you. So, yeah. <laughs> And really it's pretty much like got that, that fear factory fudge tunnel sort of feel, except during those little detours in, into discharge when Max is like sort of doing like kind of a 24 hour bullshit and there's like that, like almost like punk riff kind of going on uh, yeah. underneath real quick, but it's almost like a mechanical punk riff. It's, it's very it's, like, it sounds like it's sample, like it's a sampled riff. That's just repeated over and over. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty samples and whatnot. Yep. And speaking of samples, we get a sample at the beginning of procreation of the wicket from fucking Celtic frost here and Hellhammer. Um, and this, this was like, for me, when we, we got this record, Gorillaz was the first kind of masterpiece of the record. That was like our first favorite song. Um, we loved, that was like for us, like a hit song. 
that and cockroaches became like the second hit song and then sick life was probably the third one and those are songs that we would put on like mixtapes for other people or we would play to some of our friends who were had like one foot in like kind of like grunge and commercial music but like could kind of maybe be open to some heavier stuff you know mm-hmm. we weren't going to play them like Vitoma no Ku or some of your achievements because those are probably too weird for them but like gorillas had like enough catchy elements to it and like almost like a chorus it had like a more traditional sort of way of being constructed but um, i mean my notes are chug fest and then ministry yeah, but, uh sam- like ministry style sample yep you know uses it's, where it's, it's like, like repeatedly used yeah and, and and you get that like kind of tribal thrash guitar that like KSED mm-hmm. and arise do so well but it's it's mechanic it's mechanized the way that like solemn 69 was you know yeah. so it's like those those kind of two records kind of coming together um this is one of the songs i wrote this song probably pissed andreas off um because max will comment i think maybe in this next set um that like andreas was like pissed that max was like giving up too many like good riffs to this <laughs> record it's like no that'd be, if you save that for sepultura this is like a song that i part of the construction of the song i could see making like a good song for a future sepultura you know mm-hmm. uh thing so um and i think like that that sample in the middle from salvador which i'll kind of get into that movie in a second for people that maybe don't know but like the way they use that in the middle is so memorable and it pretty much predicts what white zombie is going to do with samples on astro creep where like the samples become a distinct part of the song do you know Mm -hmm. what i mean and i know you probably weren't into white zombie that much by the time astro creep came out but that was a pretty fucking big record you know with more human than human and electric head and those are yeah. songs that were all over the radio and all of them featured like a lot more samples than you heard on last exorcisto and it's almost like that became like a thing there for a couple years that bands that were doing this were, were, were integrating samples in a really cool way to lead to hooks or like um the way it does in gorillas where like the whole song sort of cuts out and then like that sample in the gunfire just brings you right back into like this fucking killer hook again um well i think I that, that uh white zombie record kind of like led them to where they're i think it was you know when it's more of a rob zombie vehicle where it became this weird industrial thing that yeah i didn't really hear much of that stuff until i worked at a record store and one of the guys i worked with really liked his later on stuff so i i heard it and mm-hmm. i was just like it's kind of boring but i get why people like it it's real it's real hooky and good choruses mm-hmm. and it's almost like fucking danceable you know yeah like dracula you know from yeah. the, i mean it's like a that that's a song like if i heard it at a bar while i was like dancing or something like that like i wouldn't hate it you know that's yeah, the only yeah. time like i think i like that song but like for me to actually like intellectually care about this song like eh, <laughs> you know I mean, it's I all pretty it's like it's like his films they're all everything that that that's there is on the surface there's not a whole lot of like deeper meaning to a lot of these things mm-hmm. yeah it's like just for like a visceral moment you know yeah. to like, like oh a, you like, remember this or like yeah yep yep and i think what's cool about gorillas is it's like simultaneously like mechanized and also like really primitive and tribal in, mm-hmm. in terms of its rhythmic repetitions and stuff like that but um so for people who don't know like this is the, the they use quite a few like cool movie samples and max will talk a little bit about that in some of the interview clips but this one comes from uh maybe a movie some people don't know as well uh called salvador um i don't know if you have you seen salvador the all the james Wood? james woods movie yeah it's james woods um is in it um jim belushi's in it uh, oh yeah 
John Savage, who is the guy that ends up in a wheelchair, a deer hunter. Um, and then Cynthia Gibb from, uh, Rob Lowe, Patrick Swayze hockey movie, young blood, uh, fame. If you remember that relation to the, the, uh, the Gibb brothers, I, 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 one would hope it's Barry Gibbs' daughter, but uh, <laughs> she was pretty hot. You know, yeah. I think she was also she played Karen Carpenter in the Karen Carpenter biopic, and she was in Short Circuit too as well. So, oh. yeah, so uh, a little blast in the past from my childhood, I guess. There, <laughs> but uh, Woods played um, this guy named Richard Boyle, who actually also co-wrote the script. The real Richard Boyle did with Oliver Stone, nominate for Oscar and stuff. Eighty-six, pretty good year for Oliver Stone. Um, he did Platoon same time, so. And then the next year he'll do Wall Street. So it was pretty much like peak Oliver Stone, you know. Yeah. So, um, but it's about a journalist that's covering this civil war that's going on in El Salvador in 1979, 1980. And it was basically a civil war between like right wing um, military dictatorship and then this kind of left wing resistance groups that were trying to, you know, um, you know, fight, fight back against oppression and things like that. And it's a it's a pretty, you know. It's a pretty left friendly movie, which is kind of funny and ironic because of James Woods being in it because uh, he's this kind of caustic right wing nut job now. But, uh, you know, basically the anti-communist uh, you know, military dictatorship, as we alluded to in the last talk set, was being supported by the U.S. because it was, you know, the, the Cold War. Um, and they killed four American nuns and assassinated this famous uh, archbishop down there named Oscar Romero. Um and so, yeah, so like basically they're murdering innocent people and it became like much more of a bigger deal. And I think one of the the sort of gun, the, the sample you hear is when they're murdering one of the four American nuns uh, in the movie and stuff like that. When the gun I'm pretty sure I saw that in the 90s. I went through like a big James Woods phase after oh, seeing yeah. um, shit. What the fuck? Uh, Videodrome? Yeah, after Videodrome. When I first yeah. saw that, I went back and watched a bunch of his weird shit. Hopefully you saw that great, uh, it was a boxing movie with Lou Gossip Jr. Uh, I can't remember what the fuck it's called. Oh, came out like ni- 1990, 91, like uh, something would. I don't know. I can't remember, but I, I have distinct <laughs> memories of watching that at my grandpa and grandma's house. Hardwood. You know? so, yeah. Yeah. But the guy, Oscar Romero, he was interesting. He was kind of like um, held up by people who support this this movement in the Catholic Church, especially in South America. Um, South and Central America called uh, liberation theology. Have you heard of that before? Uh, Possibly. I don't remember what the hell it's about. Liberation theology is something I talk about my AP kids. It's this thing that kind of happened uniquely in like third world countries, especially in like the seventies and eighties. And it was kind of the idea of like, why don't we apply like the radical teachings of Jesus and his like dealing with like poverty and social mm-hmm. justice. And yeah, it obviously you don't see a lot of that in America, unfortunately, but you, you see it in a lot in third world countries where there are this like kind of groups of radical priests that call themselves part of this liberation theology movement. That's like there to like help actually like solve poverty and like help the poor. And instead of just being like this, you know, institution that supports the, the sort of, you know, mainstream government and stuff like that. So it's kind of I mean, cool. You know, yeah, Jesus was all about hanging out with, you know, whores and degenerates. So what I'm saying, you know, like it's it to me, it's like actually going to the kind of the, the roots of some of that a little bit. But uh, but yeah, so that's, you know, that's a sample you hear famously in Gorillas is from that movie Salvador. It's a great movie. So worth checking out. You know, it's kind of when Oliver Stone still had his uh, kind of wits about him in terms of like making cohesive like movies. I don't know. I haven't really enjoyed much he's done in the last couple of decades, if I'm being honest. 
yeah, um, I mean, yeah, it's like the doors and <laughs> well, that was like early nineties. That was like 30, 30 some odd years ago. Sure. You know what I mean? Um, JFK, you know what I mean? He was, he was still doing like stuff. I mean, I think natural born killers was kind of where he started to like go off the rails a little bit, like kind of sniff his own bullshit, maybe a little too much, but, uh, I think I was more interested in his documentary work than, yeah. His, than his, yeah. you know, fiction work, but yeah. Yeah. So we go from uh, gorillas into blind and lost, um, you know, pure discharge worship here. You know, Igor's on drums, which is pretty cool mm-hmm. organically. You can definitely um, tell when Igor is on drums is yeah. compared to the, yeah, yep. the, the drum machine and the programming. Great punkish kind of Slayer noise solo. Uh, you mm-hmm. get a, a classic Max going, oi, you know, it's kind of like one of his his trademarks that he does in Sepultura a lot. Yeah. Um, Great lyrics, though. You know, where's your thoughts? Where's your mind? Blind and lost. Uh, never learn. Have to be part of something. Never learn. Follow the leader. You'll fit in. Just and, and, and in a lot of ways, those lyrics kind of like describe kind of the current state of sort of tribalism, tribalism and division that we sort of have, you know, um, blind and lost. Um, so I thought that it was good, you know, mm-hmm. um, and just a short but sweet, just punchy song. And I, I like that it contrasts really nicely with some of your achievements which for me is one of the highlights on this record. And it's a song that's still like the weight of it as a kid in high school. I remember feeling and knowing it kind of felt different and deeply important, you know, more than some of the other songs on the record where you knew they were just kind of having fun or, you know, it's more challenging too. I think it was all, you know, I mean, it's like a killing joke song or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's all in, uh, I think Max will talk about it. It's all in one key, the whole song, which is, pretty rare you don't you don't hear that in too many you know songs today but Mm -hmm. uh i mean lyrics you know here i'll I'll spit out some lyrics here children burning crawling dying knowledge and science uses toys splitting neurons our neutrons we made us a bomb no advances in the war you call this something to be proud of some of your achievements nagasaki some of your achievements hiroshima so (laughs) you know like just it's you know i mean they're not they're there's no subtlety to this record. Like the whole, the whole record is like anti-subtlety, right? It's just kind of it's, like, yeah, like exercise. Cave, caveman is the best way. Yeah. It's just, it's a lot of anger Primitive. and it's a lot of, you know, talking about hypocrisy and the, the government and the world. And it's a very, uh, it's a very nineties record. Yeah, for sure. It is. Yep. It's, it's kind of coming off that post cold war kind of like lashing out at the sort of hypocrisies that were starting to be revealed as we kind of, I think there was something weird in the early nineties where like the sort of the black cloud of sort of the cold war ended. So then we could kind of see clearly about some of the choices we had made in the previous decades. And, and we didn't really like some of the things that we saw, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're starting to like go back because this is like the era that I first started, you know, even though it was like under Clinton and everything was fine, you know, it seemed fine when you're a kid, Mm -hmm. but it was like, okay, now we're seeing that the government is, you know, like going back to more of that, like questioning the authority of, you know, whoever's in power doesn't sure. matter. It doesn't matter if it's right or left. It's just like, fuck all of the authority. Well, and I think like, too, there was a certain narrative that had been presented since the end of world war two, that most people kind of subscribed to, you know, in a mainstream sort of way. And, and it was like, it wasn't kosher to like argue against that mainstream sort of narrative because of like the blacklistings and some of the things that sort of happened in the, the previous decades. Um, and that, that got kind of re-upped in the eighties under Reagan, he kind of like brought the com- the cold war kind of back <laughs> a, a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, once that was sort of over with, once we got through kind of the, you know, desert storm and we we're kind of like, what, 
what was all this patriotic bullshit? Like what, what is all this stuff? And yeah. And I think we, we as a culture and especially me being the age I was at and probably you at the age you were at, you were starting to like kind of question all that stuff. So I think the nineties is a really interesting time to grow up because you're sort of in between the cold war and nine 11, but like you're, you have this freedom to like criticize things without a lot of consequences because the sort of, the sort of patriotic kind of engine had kind of shut down. And so you had like 10 years there where like, you could like openly talk about these things like rage against the machine and all this stuff that was coming out in the mainstream. And that was cool. You know I mean? It was an interesting time because like post nine 11 for there for a while, like, Oh, you didn't want to be against the war. Cause you're fucking, you know, Patriot, you're not a Patriot or whatever. Yeah. So like there was like a weird kind of freedom there to like talk about these things. And you see it in a lot of the records of this era. Like you said, it's very distinctly nineties. You know? Well, it's also like, that was the last, like they, they'd never said, that there wasn't going to be a draft again. Yeah. And like, I remember when the whole, uh, the first Gulf war happened, my dad was fucking terrified that I was going to get drafted. Really? Like that was still, that was something that was still in the air. Yeah. It's still a bitter memory from Vietnam, right? Like yeah. That. I mean, cause he, he was in, instead of waiting for his number to come up, he joined the national guard. So he didn't have to fucking go over there. There you go. But yeah. even that's like, imagine that disruption of your life. I know. <laughs> like and holy shit generationally you and i had you know and, and current generations haven't really had to deal with you know no i mean we we don't i don't think we really know we don't know sacrifice like you know world war ii sacrifice sure like we don't have to you know take coupons to get meat at the store and you know fucking bring in our aluminum cans to make munitions out of and like i don't i don't think we really know of sacrifice like previous generations did yeah yeah in that sort of regard for sure so but yeah, so uh, kind of a somber way to sort of end this set. But again, I think also like there, that's that's this record. This record is not a, a record of uh, it's, it's, you know, it's an industrial metal record about like really stark reality and, and stuff like that. So everything's um, on its sleeve. You know? Yes, it wears its heart on its sleeve and its anger on its sleeve for mm -hmm. sure. You know, but yeah, so we're going to hear from Max uh, at the opening of this set. Um, he'll introduce Vaitoma no Ku. Uh, he'll talk a little bit about kind of the nail bomb project itself and kind of how it kind of came together. He'll talk a little bit about 24 hour bullshit and where some of the ideas from that sort of came from. And then he'll also reflect on some of your achievements and um, we'll kind of go from there. So we've got Vicoma, Vitoma Noku, 24 hour bullshit, gorillas, blind and loss, and some of your achievements. So pretty much was, was, um, I discovered Fujitonio on, on one of my first trips to, Europe in, in when we play Nottingham, Digby from Eric, he'll come to the shows with boxes of, of vinyl. And it, it was like Christmas, Christmas Day, you know, you would get carcass entombed, boat rower. And on, on one of those boxes, there was Fudge Tunnel. And I, I heard hate songs in E minor. I fell in love with it right away. Like, I fucking love this thing. And we end up touring with Fudge Tunnel. And, uh, you know, uh, our stepdaughter Christina ended up uh, getting involved with Alex Newport, and they end up moving to Arizona. And then there was a time where <clears throat> I was actually, um, I, I think I was still working on Chaos AD, um, and I think it was after the Arise tour. But I think all the guys went home for like vacation, and I wanted to keep working because I, I love music i love metal you know so it's like 
Alex was in town and we, we will hang out a lot. And he was always curious about me showing him how to do trash death metal riffs. So I'll, I'll show him and I'll be like, show me some of those fudge tunnel riffs, man. You know, there's like old Black Sabbath one chord power chords that you do on, on, on hate songs that I love so much. Because of that, we end up one day joking like, yeah, let's make a band. Let's do a project. You know, I don't know what the, the idea came from. I don't know if it was mine or it was his, but we end up, uh, we end up starting writing some stuff together uh, um, entirely for fun. Had, we had no agenda. We didn't knew we were going to get signed, anything like that. Eventually Gloria got involved. She's like, I'm going to make a record out of this. This is great. This is awesome. You know, because uh, she heard what we were doing in the room. And, and we needed money to buy uh, a sampler because a lot of the stuff was, the idea was to make an industrial metal kind of band um, with a lot of samplers. And so we, so Gloria bought the sampler for us. She financed Nailbomb. She bought the sampler. Alex got really good at the sampler. We're sampling everything, doing all kinds of different beats on it. And uh, we ended up just writing just for fun, man. You know, it was just a, a very organic record that just kind of came out out of with 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 any any giving zero fucks about what people are gonna think about it. And that's like the beauty of Nail Bomb. Nail Bomb never gave a fuck about who's gonna like it, if anybody's gonna like it. We didn't care. You know, it was just fun to make this this kind of music, you know, it's kind of absurd industrial music, industrial metal combination but uh yeah it was uh and i did that during uh during the the chaos ad recording i know alex was my feedback advisor on chaos ad he's listed as that on the record uh because a lot of the feedbacks on chaos i was like alex help me with the feedback <laughs> let's get some killer feedbacks so he became my feedback advisor and uh and while I was doing Chaos AD, I was singing for Nailbomb because Alex was finishing up the record. I think the song, Some of Your Achievements, I sing it over the phone from England. My parts are done like HR style. Like, you know, he did the recording on the phone from jail. I did that from a, from a studio in England, like screaming on the fucking telephone. And he recorded and it's distorted. You get the, you get the recording uh, quality of the distortion of the telephone uh, that made it even more cool we did a lot of crazy shit i remember i had a camaro had a white camaro that went super fast and we want to record the camaro stepping on the brakes so i'll be on my street i'll go i'll gun it i'll go 60 70 miles an hour and he hit the brakes and alex will be sitting on the curb on the, on the curbside with a microphone and headphones and we record the car going, <laughs> and then he'll, he'll put that and slow down and I'll find a place for this in the record. You know, there was a, Gloria had an old washing machine and we wanted, I wanted to, to record us banging the, the washing machine. So she gave it to us like, yeah, you guys go crazy. I don't use it anymore. Take it to the backyard and beat the shit out of this machine. So here we go again. We got headphones, microphone. I got this big fucking baseball bat. 
I'm, bu I'm busting the shit out of the machine. He's recording all the sounds. It's all on the record somewhere, man. It's, one of my favorite was, uh, was, was actually Vai Tomar no Cool, which was like Portuguese word. Alex was really like, wanted me to do a song that's, the, the, the title was in Portuguese. He's like, like, what? Give me one of your worst cuss words, you know? <laughs> and I was like, well, this is pretty bad. You just stick up your, uh, stick up your ass. Uh, or 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 get fucked in the ass. That's the the literal translation of Vaitomanuku. The actual translation in English from Portuguese is "go drink from your ass," uh, which <laughs> makes no sense, you know. But but it was cool because in the end, Alex is singing Portuguese with me. You know, he was in the studio. He's like Vaitomanuku. I'm like, yeah, Alex, let's go, man. You're singing in Portuguese, man. Badass. You know, I'm saying cuss words, caralho, porra, you know, all these Brazilian cuss words. And, uh, you know, we got that repetition ending, the very hardcore, very discharge. And I think the beginning of that is some old school death metal mm -hmm. uh, riff that he, Frankenstein with his sampler, with the... It's still today, I don't know how he did it, but I just know it sounds so badass, especially... If you listen to it in headphones, it, it just sounds like some of the heaviest triple triplets chugging from death metal that you can hear ever. It's fucking, it's so cool. I'm I'm so I'm so glad we did shit like that. It was it was uh, it was cool, you know. And then I think like the riff that kicks in right today is very helmet. Like meantime, you know. Um, so yeah, so we were influenced by. You know, we were listening to a lot of the helmet and lard. I think lard was cool. Like, I always like lard, uh, which is Jello Biafra and Al Jorgensen together. It was, it was. A, I think they made three records. It's, it's, it's so cool. Like that collaboration. Uh, that's one of the coolest things I think that that, that Jello and Al has done. I, I wish they would have done more, more lard records because that was just so little. Um, same with Palehead, which is with, with the Ian McKay. You know, cool. Um, but that all we were all very much inspired by by all all of that all of those projects were uh, even SOD in a certain in a certain extent is a was a big uh, inspiration project for for Nail Bomb you know it was like guys doing something outside kind of like something on the side and then he had other uh, other underground groups uh, like Blood from the Soul which is from Shane from Napalm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and 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 Lou from Sick of It All, but I always liked the uh, the idea that that this thing just kind of happened naturally because we were hanging out together, and I didn't want to be on vacation. I don't care for vacations, especially at that time. Now I'm more into like if I, if I take a vacation out school, I enjoy it. But at that time, it's like I. Don't want a vacation. I don't care. I want to. I want to make noise. I want to make music. I want to keep creating. Um, and so we made this record in this atmosphere. You know, one of the coolest things was also the where we made it. it was a. It was in our nanny's bedroom, and she was this Mexican super Catholic lady. She had a picture of Jesus on the wall, <laughs> <laughs> and and we go there during the day with all these rockers, you know, fucking religious cancer and all and i think she walked by and gave us like this weird looks ever like 
like I, even like crossing herself sometimes. Like, what the fuck is this guy doing in my room? You know, she had to go sleep there after we did all that unholy noise during the day. You know, I'm, I'm doing, I'm blasting this room up to these motherfuckers' leave. Probably lighting candles, fucking expel our spirits away. You know. <laughs>
but yeah, I think Neil Bomb captured a lot of that spirit, you know, is on the record, you know. So it's like, and it, it, it was cool because we got, uh, you know, I got, uh, got Igor doing a lot of live drums. We had, uh, we had Andreas doing some solos. We had Dino doing 24-hour uh, bullshit. And it was cool because I got to convince him, uh, give me a Fear Factory riff, man. Give me one of those, you know, your mm-hmm. fucking machine hand, yeah. machine right hand. And uh, yeah, so 24-hour bush, it's a, it's a classic Dino. It's a stamp Dino riff that we got out of him. For silver relative to the price of gold. You work with the state uh, uh, does some subsidy for the food.
and another song that I really like that is really weird and I really didn't have much to do with it was uh, Some of Your Achievements. Mm -hmm. And still today, one of my favorite songs to listen yeah. is Haunting. It's, I think it's in the, in the same key. The whole song doesn't change keys. I think it's in the same key, which is brilliant to start. It's like so fucking weird to stay on that same key. You have all these drone noises. It just sounds very, very haunting, you know, very haunting. And um, that's the one I sang over the phone because we're done recording. And I went to England to finish Chaos and, and Alex was home in the studio trying to finish the nail bomb. And so like, you have to, you have to, to say some of your achievements over the phone, you know? Uh, so, so yeah, I like that one a lot. Um, and I, I think the, uh, 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 to me, uh, Gorillaz, it sounds very trashy, uh, kind of like, uh, that's a full on Sepultura riff. That's a yep. straight out of, straight out of, uh, a rise, you know, then, and then, then, and then, I don't know. I think uh, I think the whole record's very very interesting. Flows really good. It has something about the flow of the songs that just they feel very cool going from one to the other. That was some of your achievements: "Blind and Lost," "Gorillas," "24 Hour Bullshit," and then we started off with "Vitoma No Ku." Just heard from Max there talking about some of your achievements and, and talking a little bit more about that story of recording over the phone and stuff there. But um, yeah, you know. Um, I think one of the things about this record is the, you know, the cover and some of the artistry um, Max is going to tell the story about where they kind of discovered the images on it and stuff like that. You know, that um, they were influenced by that first rage against the machine record. And they actually went to the associated press and asked to see like other photos that were similar to that. Um, and luckily, there's a happy ending, I guess, to this story. It's a it's a Viet Cong uh, sort of woman being questioned, and she actually didn't get shot. So <laughs> if, there's, there's a lot of negativity about this record, but maybe if you can find like a, a rainbow in the in the glass half full kind of moment, that's yeah. stuff there um, a bit. But um, I found a Revolver interview from a couple of years back too, and they kind of asked. Um, I think it's mainly just Max and. They said, uh, the spoken word samples are cool, but you also created your own samples, didn't you? And he says, yeah, Gloria had an abandoned washing machine she wasn't using anymore. So we got all those metal baseball bats and beat the crap out of it. We recorded all the beating <laughs> sounds and threw them on different parts of the album. Also, I had a real fast white Camaro and Alex would stand on the street with a microphone and I would go 80 miles per hour and hit the brakes and he recorded the sound uh, and slowed it way down. We definitely like got creative <laughs> with it. So I thought that was a, a pretty good insight too. And um, oh, he's mentioned how like boring it was in Phoenix if you weren't like going to shows. Yeah. So I can see them like you know doing all this stuff. I know. There's nothing I know. else to fucking do. It's almost like two guys like doing like jackass experiments or whatever, and you don't yeah. realize they're actually creating like a, a sound bank for like for for a, like a kind of a, a big record for them. And well, stuff. it's like stupid shit you do as a teenager where like whatever project you're working on was like the only thing that mattered in the world, and you could put a hundred percent focus into that yeah and this yeah. seems to be like one of those there's not a, a ton of that stuff anymore that it's tough to completely just give yourself over to one thing with the world the way it is and communication the way it is right now so uh -huh. 
And they, they actually did tell a kind of a funny story uh, in this Revolver interview about, uh, they asked him, what's the weirdest thing that happened in the studio? He says, well, we did most of the album in my house, but we recorded some of it at uh, Shatan Studios in Scottsdale, Arizona. He said, it doesn't exist anymore, but it was a beautiful studio right on the Camelback Mountains. He says, one day we were recording and Glenn Campbell walked in. I had no idea who the <laughs> fuck this guy was. He had a cowboy hat and a country vibe going on. He listened for a second and went, well, this is great. These guys sound crazy. I called Gloria and said, hey, there's this Glenn Campbell guy here. Do you know who the fuck he is? And she said, oh, my God, Glenn Campbell's huge. I just thought he was some wannabe cowboy guy. (laughs) This is is a a good Glenn Campbell documentary that came out a couple years ago. Is there? It's pretty good. sad as hell. Oh, I just don't know. He's starting to have a... Is he like Alzheimer's? Yeah, so he can't remember shit except when he's singing. Oh, that's fucked up. Yeah, it's 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 a bit sad, but it's also I don't know the whole it's 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 kind of like shows some of the healing power of music as well. Like that was the only thing he could remember. <laughs> is, that, fucking, is that just kind of how the brain works because of how we memorize songs and stuff like that? I I don't know. They didn't really get scientifically into it. It's more of kind of like the the heart of the you know the the documentary or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's worth watching for sure. Huh? Yeah, I never really got too much into his stuff. I know I've I've heard. Ba- bands he's been part of at times like where he's guested or whatever but it's it's not like i don't i don't really care about the music as much but like his like cultural but the story the phenomenon that he was too yeah and like just kind of how it, it's like one of those uh you know like a like a, a warrior that does one last you know that goes that's the lethal weapon thing you know, sure. you're on one last job this you know once yeah once proud strong guy that has a little bit left in the tank looks like uh uh aronofsky's the wrestler or something yeah exactly yeah that, that type of kind of like tragic hero for sure yeah but i i always thought the cover was super iconic and max will talk a little bit about the cover but it's it's just it's one of those covers like once you see it like you just can't like unsee it you know and mm-hmm. um even like the the back of it too with um you know somebody getting beat by a police officer and then the the kind of weird nail bomb anarchy sign that was on the cd i don't know if you remember that at all i don't i've never had the cd so I had, was, uh, I would have had a tape probably. Okay. A tape. Yeah. Uh, Jeff I don't, I don't have anything. Yeah. That nail bomb cover. Uh, and it's, it's like a weird, like it's an NB put together, almost like an anarchy sign with the letters. Is it almost like the dead Kennedys, the DK symbol. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of like, he'll talk later in the interview that they were really influenced visually by the dead Kennedys. And actually we'll talk about this in the next talk set a bit, but when they do proud to commit, commercial suicide they actually bring in john yates who worked at alternative tentacles for 10 years as an art director and he like helps them kind of construct uh the proud to commit commercial suicide so nice. they definitely had that intention and i mean that's why they cover police story and, and things like that too mm-hmm. and they get dh uh Peligro, uh involved on the, the dynamo show but um yeah it's, it's kind of interesting so yeah i just wanted to point that out for people that that you know definitely that's one of the the telltale signs of this record is just looking at that cover and seeing that, that black and white photo, you know, I mean, it definitely pulls back or brings back like early eighties, hardcore by sure. huge yeah. you know, discharge and Kennedy's Brass and, and some of that yeah. kind of stuff. Yep. Absolutely. Totally. So this next set, we're going to start with the hit song, I guess, uh, probably the most popular song from this. Um, it's even a song. I think that Max said they played on the KSAD tour sometimes at some shows. Um, and that's cockroaches. And this is, you know, it's basically like I, I said, it's appropriate that both Helmet and Sepultura both covered Symptom of the Universe in the mid 90s, because this is essentially what would happen if Helmet and Sepultura were like the same, you know, merged together as a band. Yeah. 
I guess. This is um, one of the Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer sample on his sample well, in the it? middle. Yeah. And um, you know, it's it's definitely the KSAD Sepultura riff and uh Helmet Betty. So it's not really a meantime riff, it's more like the sort of effervescent kind of bubbly betty's such a, a weird record I, I love it but it's it's not as like tight as like the stuff they were doing on those first two helmets it's a little bit more open and i think yeah. that's the kind of helmet you're seeing here a bit you know more. True. yeah i think that the strap it on and meantime meantime especially the like the snare production was so weird and yeah. but i i fucking loved it like i wanted every fucking snare to sound that way for and, some fucking reason but it's just like that that fucking ping just like got you like it just locked the groove in yeah it's almost like um what are those things they use to like tell the um tell the time like for musicians like uh piano players metronome it's like almost like he's he's doing like a metronome type drumming in terms of like the precision and like you said the way that snare kind of works yeah um Whereas like Betty to me sounds more like uh like failure or cave in or something. It's more in that kind of vein of of albums, you know. Yeah. Where it's like yeah, production wise, it's like night and day. Yes, absolutely. Totally different. Um, and of course, this is Igor on drums. So like those rhythmic instincts here are are really like kind of on point. And Max, his chorus is is kind of peak Max, you know, like KSAD type Max. Um and there's that really kind of churning kind of solemn 69 industrial, almost like a semi lead. It's very clever that they, mm-hmm. do. um, you hear it a little bit kind of at the end and stuff. And of course, yeah, Henry portrait of a serial killer sample. Um, I, I remember renting that with Tweed for the first time and I hadn't really seen a lot of horror movies. Um, you know, I was, I kind of came into horror late because I had some pretty, uh, I, I saw a couple of horror movies when I was too young and had some some, pre, pre, some PTSD and my mom didn't like horror movies. So it was just like a thing that like, it just didn't happen that much. But I remember that movie really got under my skin in a way that like um, horror movies I'd seen, I, I think I saw it before Texas Chainsaw. And so it was, pre- it, it was kind of the same uh, presentation where like, is this a documentary or is this, you know, real? Yeah. You felt really gross. Like I felt like I needed to like bathe after watching Henry yeah. Portman's serial killer. You know? Michael Rooker, man. What a, he's a, He's Fuck a fucking yeah. force. Yeah. And Otis, just like uh, <laughs> Otis, like creeped me out too as like his accomplice or whatever. And I thought it was kind of apropos that we were kind of talking about this stuff because of like I was telling Mark uh, off mic, I've been binging Mindhunter lately, which is that old Netflix series that Fincher did about like the beginning of the serial killer kind of division of behavioral science and the FBI and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah. Um, some of those dudes they interview on that show are creepy as fuck too. So Kemper, holy shit, man! Oh, Kemper, man, that guy, <laughs> holy cow! That the actor, guy that plays Jesus him is so Christ. good. Yeah, so good. But uh, yeah, so then we go from cockroaches into for fuck's sake. Um, this definitely, especially at the beginning, you hear a lot of like stuff that you associate. I think more with like um, like Frontline Assembly, Fear Factory, um, like kind of the industrial dissonance for about a minute before the the song kind of kicks in there. Um, and I just said the sonic resonance of the riffing and for fuck safe, this is the heavier ministry, the dream achieved that like they want it. Like, this is it right here. Um, yeah, I got yeah ministry with caustic bits. Yeah. Yeah. And it been, and the, there's a couple moments where the guitar bends towards that sort of D beat kind of grinding thing. Like right before mm-hmm. he screams, like life goes on and stuff where it kind of goes into like a little bit of a 
punkish kind of thing, but it's still like in the industrial realm. Um, like you said, he probably is taking like a sample loop of a punk riff and kind of playing around with it there. Um, yeah, I think especially with like a more discerning ear after, you know, hearing so much more music in the last, since this thing came out, mm -hmm. I, there's, I think a lot goes to what Alex is doing, like twiddling knobs. Yeah. Like he's really dialing in a lot of shit that seems like, you know, when you, you just think like, oh yeah, this is all played live, but like, no, that's like a little two second, you know, thing that he keeps like mathematically, you know, popping in there and really like this, almost this mechanical um delivery to the thing it sounds like a machine when we were even commenting about how much like now a couple decades later we appreciate alex's vocal contributions because it's it's much more subtle and atmospheric and breathy yeah than, and it's a really nice contrast with what max is sort of doing and max is just like you said doing max you know it's mm -hmm. all max can that's, do that's what we want to hear yep um and it's different even than some of the fudge tunnel stuff that he was doing it's it's more, totally i think he's more alex is more of a chameleon yeah. I think that makes sense why he's more of a studio guy now than than necessarily a performer. Mm -hmm. I think he's he's interested in like creating the stuff and making it sound right on record, but not necessarily uh performance isn't his favorite thing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um speaking of like things that Alex is like integrating into for fuck's sake, the sample in it is uh it's the last TV appearance of Gigi Allen. Um hmm from the Jane Whitney show in 1993 before he killed himself or whatever. So, so there's some kind of weird samples that are kind of in there. That's Gigi Allen. So well, I, I think right, that, that, uh, that whole era, um, fuck, what the hell's the guy's name that did Joker Todd, uh, Todd Phillips, Todd Phillips did a document. That was like one of his first things he did was a documentary about the, the year leading up to Gigi's oh, really? suicide. Cause he was gonna originally Alan was talking about, he was going to kill himself on stage as like his final, Oh, uh, you know, kind of thing, or his final, like, you know, statement on music or whatever. Yeah, but it's not. You can watch it on YouTube. It's great. It's all. Huh. I mean, it's all shot on video, but it's uh, it's super. I, th I think Gigi Allen's a really interesting guy. Um, kind of the last. I think the probably the last like really like dangerous <laughs> musician that just didn't give a shit about anything except for what he was doing. Sure, uh, yeah. I can't think of anybody that like he, what he said. He meant. It wasn't like, you know, Watain or, you know, these bands that are obviously are great musicians and have a great stage show, but they're not really as nihilistic as they lead on to to believe, you know, like. Yeah, he was the, the real deal. He was the real deal. And he had, they had some great music, too. Yeah, I, I, I've never really spent much time in Gigi Allen. I know Tim O'Brien was like way into him and um, Justin Norton actually reached out after doing the Dead Kennedy show and said, hey, we should do a Gigi Allen show. I'm like, hey, maybe down there. I, you know, it's something I'm not disinterested in. You know, yeah. I just. I've never sat down with this. I stuff. check out that documentary because not not the, the one just came out on HBO recently that um, was uh, I think this brother's named Merle. Um, he was always like the I think the bass player, the guitar player in the band, hmm. uh, in the Murder Junkies. But um, that one's not that's it's okay. But check out that Todd Phillips one. Todd Phillips one. Hmm. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. worth watching. Yeah. And speaking of uplifting songs, we go to World of Shit. So. Uh, <laughs> And this is I where, mean, for fuck's sake, and world of shit are kind of like the the most to the point song I, titles on this album, really. I mean, can can you understand how, in for like a fourteen year old freshman in high school, like why this was like 
this this hit different right like well, it this was is, that's why rage against the machine all that stuff was hitting because it like tapped into that angst that you didn't understand that visceral you young energy yeah yeah the inarticulousness of youth culture you know mm -hmm. this is definitely you there. knew shit was not right but you didn't know exactly you about I didn't it. Know like yeah. i said i was I could smell the politics, but I couldn't understand the politics. Like I, I knew we I was all pleasant. We didn't really have, we weren't <laughs> dealing with like the adversity that an inner city yeah, kid was exactly, dealing with, you know? Exactly. <laughs> but I certainly, I certainly suspect that something was amiss, you know? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that curiosity is hugely important. I think to any, you know, all learning is you just gotta be curious Absolutely. You know? and questioning of everything. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, world of shit, we get kind of, you know, Andreas, uh, gets to sort of play off a of max, which is cool. Those two are great when they're together. Mm -hmm. Um, and Andreas really soars into some really cool caustic solos throughout world of shit that are pretty fun. Um, well, love has that, that, that constant. Yeah. That hate is reality. Yeah. That's what I actually named our zoom meeting today. Yeah. I saw that. Don't you know that? <laughs> God hates. Yeah. And it's I think a definite it's, kind of hip hop vibe to the song. Oh, for sure. That it's the kind of same thing like obituary does sometimes with the like bounce. That, yeah. the bounce. Yep. It's, it's definitely there. Um, you know, I think I asked him, I don't know if I included it as like a thing, but I said like, in a lot of ways, like nail bomb was, the opening up of ideas that you hear on nail bomb, like where Max is getting to play in a bigger sandbox. Like I think in a lot of ways, and this is, you know, depending on what your perspective is for better or for worse, I think is the pathway to roots, mm -hmm. you know, like that record, whether you like it or hate it, it has a lot of interesting ideas all over the place. And some of them land and some of them probably land it in 96 and don't land so much now. Um, I was fine with Roots. Roots came out while I was still young enough to like be kind of plugged into that before I kind of really left that whole scene completely behind. Mm -hmm. But I can definitely see why people hate it, Roots. You know, like it's not it's not like a surprise to me, like, oh, you don't you didn't like Roots? What the hell? You know, but like I saw it as an extension of Nail Bomb. I didn't see it as corn, if that makes sense. Like to sure. me, it was like I still liked enough KSAD Nail Bomb stuff that to me it was like the next weird place they could go. And it didn't freak me out because I wasn't as endeared to arise and beneath the remains because KSAD was my first record and nail bomb came really close after KSAD. So my perspective on Sepultura was kind of through that lens and I didn't hate roots as much. I was like, Oh, they're just doing more weird shit. Like they were trying to do on chaos and they really did on nail bomb. Yeah. And no, I, I, I you know. hated, hated that record. Oh, for sure. And I completely get why, <laughs> why you would, because but like beneath the remains is the first remains thing. Rise. Yeah. yeah. And then arise. I, I listened, uh, we, we got into rise as it came out. That mm -hmm. was like our first Sepultura record that when it came out, we were listening to it and the KSAD was also, it was fine, but you could kind of see where they were going. And, you know, in retrospect, I think it's, it's an important record. It's a culturally relevant record for them too, which is not many bands get to explore that type of, yeah, you know, yeah. the, the, the rhythmic drumming and all that kind of shit that they were pulling in from, from different Brazilian, um, like traditional Brazilian bands or whatever, yeah, or traditional music. Uh, that's all great. I just don't, it's too fucking bouncy and uh, it's just not, it's not my vibe, but I totally appreciate what, what they're trying to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not a record. I, I have the record, but it just because it came in the, uh, in that box the set complete there. roadrunner box yeah. set that I've got, you know, there's songs I still like, I, I probably would never sit down and listen to that whole record from start to finish. The title track's fine. 
yeah, there's like straight hates good. Like there's some heavy songs that like yeah. aren't, aren't like super bouncy and stuff. And but it's just the, like the the rhythm and the the drumming is all that really when it connects. That's all that connects with me. Okay, got the it. rest of it's a little bit too like the guitar is so abstract from what it was. Sure. Um, there's not a whole lot of chugging like Sepultura is like known for. It's a lot of this dissonant, you know, the Andreas Kisser dissonant riffs that started yep. coming out and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And again, you you hear that. Yeah, you can hear the last remnants of some of that stuff here, I guess. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, the thing about there's there's one part of World of Shit that's like really a, a pretty, like it's, it's just a neat little thing that I kind of zoomed in on. It's, uh, you know, especially when like the, the guitars sort of drop out of the song around like uh, the 240 mark and they kind of, you hear just this kind of bubbling synth in the, the sort of sample. Mm-hmm. And then you hear the warmth of feedback for a few seconds, letting you know that that like crushing riffs about to come in. It's like he plugged the like guitar back in and it goes, and then you're like, Oh shit, here it comes. And it's such like a cliche thing to do, but it works. It just, it mm-hmm. hits right. You know? So um, I, I mean, yeah, the last time I hear fucking feedback on a I Hate God song, I was like, yes. yeah. Yeah. Oh, shit. Here it comes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that. It's like mm, kind of thing happening. And Andreas gets a really nice, noisy lead, like in the last 30 seconds. That's, that's pretty fun, too. Mm-hmm. So, and then that leads to exploitation. And uh, Max is going to tell the story of exploitation. Um, it's a doom cover. It is. It's a doom cover with unintelligible lyrics. Um, he's not actually singing the lyrics from the doom cover. And, uh, there's there's a funny story Max will tell after. Well, the this. the sample in the beginning is that not the one of the dudes from Doom saying it's this is like all I can understand is like pull the chain on this one man. This is so it's like actually not. That, that's okay. that's a funny story. It's a janitor uh, at the studio. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty. Because it almost after you hear the story he's going to tell, you're like, oh, I, I just assumed this was like somebody from Doom that heard yep. it and said this. This is what we think of it. I mean, it's just great D-beat, kind of grindy, kind of punk stuff, you know? Um, yeah. Hilarious intro. Very famous outro. That was their t-shirt slogan. You know, feel good, feels good to be a punk lose, uh, punk rock loser or whatever. Yeah. Um, got one thing from the Malcolm uh, article from Metal Hammer, and it's Max kind of just talking about... Uh, Malcolm says, the Point Blank album was released in early 94 and immediately blew up a storm with its unaffected vitriolic blast furnace emotion. It was moreover a record that seemed to delight the label. And Max says, despite what we were uh, doing, despite what we were doing, not being commercial, Roadrunner never interfered. On the contrary, they let us get on with things. The only problem they seemed to have was the photo we used on the cover. I found that in a book. We went through lots of books looking for appropriate images, but some of the people at the record company were a little freaked out by it. But we insisted that we had to have that image. Um, and then Cavalera, uh, says that Newport was the one that came up with the title of, of, of it. He says, I had never heard of a nail bomb until he mentioned it. Once he explained what it uh, did, the idea that what we were doing musically was something similar, uh, very much appealed to me. And of course, Max will tell you what a nail bomb is. Uh, you know, I think in this set here, he's going to talk a little bit about it. Definitely so, a, a better name than the other ones that were tossing around. Like yeah, it's, it, sure. it tells you exactly what this is. Yeah, fucking terrorist <laughs> device. <laughs> and then they kind of like the Malcolm kind of asked him a little bit about like um, why it was called point blank. Um, and, you, you know, Max says that wasn't our first choice. We were actually going to make the title a thousand percent hate, but then it got changed along the line. We also had a great idea for a sticker to go on the sleeve. It was going to read, quote, 
now with 10% more hate than any other record. It was a piss take on all those uh, consumer goods that seem to boast that they've got more caffeine or whatever than their rivals. I can't remember why that idea got dropped. It's just so cool. Um, it's pretty funny there, but, but yeah, so let's, uh, let's kind of get into it here. Um, we've got cockroaches. We've actually got a pretty long set of, of Max kind of telling some stories, both about the name of the band, the cover, um, and then kind of introducing cockroaches here. And then, uh, the song cockroaches, then for fuck's sake. Um, and Max will talk a little bit about that in world of shit. Then we've got exploitation, uh, followed by one last Max, uh, kind of coming in and telling the story about that song and the doom cover and all that kind of fun stuff. So enjoy, uh, the, the lion's share here of, um, Point blank from Nailbomb. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the original title of, of, of Point Blank, the first name was uh, A Thousand Percent Hate. Um, and it was kind of like, I think we kind of like, the way we felt was like, you had a machine gun and you're shooting everything that you don't like. Religion, media controlling, you know, drugs in the end, especially on... The, the last song, A Dark Room is My World, Sick Life. So it's very against uh, junkies and heroin, you know. Um, and it's like, uh, yeah, it was like, a, it was just a big fuck you to everything that we don't like. So I think in that way, you, you can kind of say it's kind of a political record. Right? Album know. cover also it was very shocking for that time. To, to, like, I think when that album dropped, I mean, I mean, first, first was the name. I remember the name. Um, Alex is suggesting this name, and, and I'm asking, what, what is what is a nail bomb? He goes, well, it's a bomb that you make, and you put nails, so when it blows up, the nails pierce the people. And I'm like, holy fuck, that's a brutal mm. fucking name, you know? This is a, that is a brutal name. Like, and, and to me, it was like, we sound like that, right? We sound like a, like a bomb going off and nails going to every direction and, uh, you know, impaling everything that we don't like um so i love the name i love the i love the it, it was a and it's definitely alex a name because it's from his england background from the whole ira shit you know that that's what the name comes from uh, i remember even it was we were a little bit worried when i just because the ira used nail bomb in some terrorist attacks and we were a little worried. Like, so you think some people are going to take this the wrong way? or, um, But yeah, we, we, we didn't care anyway. But the, I remember the cover. We, we really liked the Rage Against the Machine, Burning Monk. Yeah. We liked that a lot. So we contacted the same company that made, that they got that picture. And it was um, uh, AP, Associated Press. Mm-hmm. Um, and as somebody at Associated Press sent us a shit load of pictures that was like a hundred pictures and one of them was this lady the vietnamese lady uh with a gun in the head you know you can see the gun pulling on her skin but we found out that she didn't die that the guy didn't shoot didn't shoot her that was just an interrogation he was just interrogating her you know which kind of make it better you know um but it was very visceral looking man i mean just that uh just, just the gun in the head, the Vietnamese face. This, this it look menacing. Um, and I remember uh, the same guy, Danny, telling me a story that he had that poster on his wall, and his dad is a mafia, Italian, you know, mafioso, Godfather type guy. And he, the father came home 
Daniel was in his room. The, the dad opens the door and sees the nail bone. It's like, you gotta, you're going to take that down from your wall. <laughs> and like, I don't care about your devil shit. I don't care about girls. I don't care about, uh, but that's coming off your wall. You're not, and he's like, but that's my friend, Max. Blah, blah, blah. I don't care. That's insulting. That's so for a, I think it did what it needed to do, the shocking, you know, it, it was shocking yeah. enough that an old school Italian guy felt offended for, about it. It was good. So I like that. It's like those are uh, stamps of approval. It did what it needed to do. You know, it's a shocking cover. It's to react. It's We want to get a reaction out of people. And we got it, you know, and I think that uh, it's definitely a, a, a strong image kind of cover, you know. I think like with album covers, there's many different ways to go, but I think what what we wanted with Nailbomb was, yeah, I think we saw the we saw the Rage Against the Machine cover. Also, like some of the Dead Kennedys, we were very much into the whole alternative tentacles catalog. You know, it was it was it was big. I love the 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 art department of, of alternative tentacles, and we end up using the guy uh, on the second record. He made the layout. For the for the second album, it, it, I forgot his name, but it was was was, was great because we were friends with Jello and Greg, and they were like the main guys in Alternative Tentacles, um, and it was it was cool. Like they had all these crazy shirts, like Democracy, we delivered a bunch of bombs falling, um, you know, Jesus loves you, and there's like like a terrorist guy with a gun, you know, yeah, yeah, because I think you know, like like the that the Dead Kids artwork stuff was was awesome, right? It was like. It was such a black humor, sarcastic too, like very, uh, very sarcastic. No. That's jealous. Even with the lyrics, that's his humor, you know. Holiday in Cambodia, you know, it's 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 you know, kill the poor. Like those are great, great lyrics, man. Like very, very cool, controversial but cool kind of shit to listen to. But um, yeah, we were trying to. I think like the 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 lyrics on the album. That was just me and Alex just went at it. Uh, I think Alex writes a little bit more um, abstract than me. I'm, I'm, I'm more direct. My lyrics were more direct. His was kind of abstract. I still kind of like don't know sometimes what he's really talking about. There he goes. And and then, you know, I, I still kind of don't know in some of the words what, what exactly is the meaning. Um, yeah, I, I, I ponder about that sometimes. Um like even the beginning of wasting away, you know, carve your carve your eyes into your arm so they don't get taken away. Um, I think he's talking about tattoos, but then Alex doesn't have any tattoos, so it's, it's like I don't. I might be some. He might be talking about something totally different. You know, that's what I got it from. You know, I think it's to me represents tattoos. You know, carve your arms in your arms so they don't take they don't get taken away. You know, yeah. maybe he's talking about government printing people. Yeah, I think Cockroaches is a good one. It's a big one. It was one of, to me, one of my favorite. So we ended up actually playing in, in many Sepultura concerts back in the, in the Chaos AD tours and some of the Roots tour. We ended up, uh, we ended up playing Cockroaches in some of the shows. Uh, it's just like, it's a killer um, Alex riff, the opening riff. It's very forged tunnel, you know, very, very much like something out of hate songs. And, and then, um, you know, 
the chorus is a very Max uh, riff. So that was kind of, that's like the pure marriage of, of me and Alex riff, riff ideas in one song. I think this one captured the most.
For fuck's sake, was an interesting one. We were listening to Nine Inch Nails, and we're trying to reproduce the Nine Inch Nails idea. I think, I think it's from the first Nine Inch Nails, the Pretty Machine or Pretty Something Machine. Alex and me were just trying to, so he does the the quiet, almost like whispering voice, on top of like a like a computer tribal beat, you know. Um, and then kicks in with a full-on trash riff, but it's all drum machine. And that, that was cool. That was like, there was stuff like that that to me was, was, was a lot of very much out of my comfort zone. You know, I never, never played with a drum machine. I was, I was playing with a drummer. Um, but to see uh, another song that was really cool for that was Word of Shit. Mm-hmm. Because I was have like I was like dance, you know. It was like this big dance fucking groove, it's a huge monster groove, and you had this fucking like this fucking metallic riff on top of it, man. Um, and then all these fucking funky keyboards. Uh, yeah, that one that one was a lot of fun. I, I like I like uh, and I like the lyrics of that one. The word of shit is it's, it's heavy, it's angry. It's like like really a pissed off lyric, so that was kind of the answers of, of the of the project. Kind of like inspiration, but you're taking you're making something totally different from it. So I, I don't even think it's 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 not a rip off because a rip off if it was the same riff, then it would have been a rip off. But it's not. It's an entirely new riff. Yeah, and we had a lot of fun. That was all Alex because I 
very illiterate on computers, always been to today. I don't have a cell phone. I'm caveman. I'm full on Brazilian caveman in the social media world. I think that's what keeps me sane. I don't, so I don't read all the negative bullshit. Um, <laughs> and it's like, uh, I left all that to him. Like you do all the sampling. And sometimes, man, he'll be working on the, the world of shit drum beat. I'll go to sleep. I'll sleep for like four hours. I'll wake up and he's in the same beat. I'm like, <laughs> Alex, you still in that fucking beat? I'm just getting it. I'm just finalizing, man. You know, I, I, I used to call him Mr. Hate because he hated everything. You know, he's like, uh, the only time I ever see uh, he got along great with me, but he hated everything else and everybody else. This was a very, very interesting guy. At one time, I was having a conversation with him, and he, we started talking about sh live shows. He goes, yeah, I hate, the, I hate the noise of the crowd. I go, repeat that with me one more time. Let me, hear, let, let me make sure I understand. You hate the noise of the crowd. Yeah, it's like, why are you a musician? You know, it's like, wow. it's like hating guitar and playing guitar. Like, I hate the sound of the guitar, but I'm a guitar player. <laughs> but he, he told me that with a straight face, truly, truly. Wow. Like, I hate the sound of the noise of the crowd. I fucking hate it. I wish there was none of that. And I was like, now I know why you're a studio guy. But fucking was just a good time, man. And I remember, um, I remember Andreas listened to some of the nail bomb stuff and be very angry because it was so good. And he's like, you should have saved that for us. <laughs> I was like, I already did a lot for KSAD. What do you want from me, man? You know, it was really good. You know, it was, uh, it was like, it's, it's a powerful record. It's a good record. And uh, of course we had no idea it would become this underground cult that became, you know, and it's still today people bug me. Like, you're going to make another nail bomb. Are you going to make you Alex? You guys going to, I would love to do another one. For, like, I would have really loved to, if I can convince him. I don't think it's possible. But if it would be possible, it would have been one of, one of the most amazing things would have, to make a new nail bomb record. It would have been great. Hate is reality. Breathe.
Like that, that was the thing about Nailbone. There was no rules at all. Uh, there was no gimmick, no rules, no politics. 
no agenda. We didn't have to make a song to fit nothing. You know, you're just writing it for the hell for the hell of writing. Just having a great time. Um, even even one of the best moments on the record, I think, is I drank half a bottle of rum. And Alex called Gloria very worried about me. Now he calls it like I think Max is really wasted right now. I don't know if he should if he should keep drinking. It's bad. He already killed half a bottle of rum, and he's raising hell here. <laughs> and then he had the tape rolling, and that's when I came up with "Feels Good to Be a Punk Loser" nice. in the end of the song, and we put that on the record. Um, also, there's a voice of a gen- the, the studio janitor. Alex play him some nail bomb and he, he hates it. He goes, what is this WC music? He, he, he calls it WC music, which is like brilliant. You know, like yeah. who, thought, who's, who says shit like that? You know, it's like so cool. Um, but yeah, the, the whole, um, the whole process, it, it made me realize there's different ways to make records because chaos AD to some extent, even Arise was very professional, you know, mm-hmm. There's yeah. a professional made records. You got a producer. You go to a, to a studio. You take it very seriously. And Nailbaum, although we did went to a real studio, um, yeah, there was we, we were producing ourselves. There's no producer. We didn't. We don't have to hear listen to anybody. There's no rules. We can put whatever we we can make a, a minute of farts. Put it on if we want it. You know, it's like. Anything goes, man. It was it was cool. It was there was like liberating to make this kind of record, you know. In a way, it's like one of the most fun times I had in the studio in a long time. Yeah, yeah. You you realize that some of the stuff doesn't need to be doesn't you don't need to think too much about it. Just do it. Just record it. The way it came in, first instinct. A lot of times, first instinct shit is the best shit. Then exploitation is actually a cover from Doom. Uh, I didn't bother getting the original lyrics. And 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 I so I sing English that don't exist, which is my way of of, of thinking of the song. So I'm singing There's like no lyrics, you know. And I, I remember meeting the Doom bass player and his 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 puzzle. It's like why did you why didn't you bother getting the lyrics? They're cool lyrics, they're against uh uh killing of animals, you know. And I was like, man, because it's punk rock. How much more punk rock can you get? Like, not bothering, look up the lyrics. <laughs> just recorded anything. Just sure. mumbo jumbo with your fucking voice. Um, but yeah, it's like, like the, the stuff we're listening to, Doom, uh, Extreme Noise Terror. I love the Extreme Noise Terror album. Uh, I remember showing that to my mom. Because the back cover, the singer is doing a line of coke. That's that's his that's his picture on the record, <laughs> and I, I show my mom. I say, "Mom, check this guy out. What if I did that, Mom? What do we think? I mean, I'll be very disappointed in you, Massimiliano. Oh. You know, <laughs> the singer's doing a line of coke, man. That's his fucking picture. It's so punk rock. Uh, but yeah, I think No Bomb capture a lot of that spirit. You know, is on the record." That was Exploitation, World of Shit, For Fuck's Sake, and then we kicked things off with Cockroaches. Heard a lot of good stuff there from Max, telling some stories about the songs and the uh, just the origins of the, the titles and the cover and all that sort of fun stuff. So we're kind of arcing, you know, towards our, our last little stretch here. And I think, uh, you know, we want to talk a little bit about kind of the finality of the band and the two uh, live shows that they played. 
A lot of people only know about the one, but Max actually coming up here will tell uh, about playing another smaller club show, which he says should have been recorded for Proud to commit commercial suicide instead. Um, he actually feels that like Dynamo is too big for a band like Nailbomb. They're not that kind did, of band. Did they do the club show before to warm up for that? Or Yeah, and he says it was just like awesome. He says like yeah. the energy was like perfect for what the, the band is because they're not like a commercial band, you know, like they're not supple. They're not an arena playing. band. Yeah. yeah, like they're yeah. going to sound better. I think, I mean, most of the stuff that we listen to honestly sounds better in a smaller Small environment. Scene. But like, you know, like the Scorpions, they sound great in a studio, you know, a stadium environment. Sure. Yeah. There's, yep. there's certain, certain bands, but this is definitely not one of them. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Um, and uh, yeah, so, you know, but, but first kind of, let's talk about dynamo for a second, because that's kind of their, their last, their grand finale. And this actually is from the, uh, from the metal hammer thing from Malcolm dome. And he says, we were asked to play at the Dynamo Festival in Eindhoven, Holland in June 95. It was the biggest Dynamo ever. Over 100,000 people were there. Now we had agreed not to turn this into a regular band and tour, but we felt that this was a one-off and therefore it didn't count as breaking our word. Actually, we did two shows as we played a club gig the night before just to warm up. We just, excuse me, we decided that this had to be an event, not merely a gig. So we got loads of people involved with it. The list is enormous. Evan Seinfeld from Biohazard, Dave Edwardson of Neurosis, D.H. Peligro from Dead Kennedys, uh, Reese Fulber of Frontline Assembly. It was amazing. And the gig was incredible. Eventually, it came out as a live album, proud to commit commercial suicide and a DVD, Live at Dynamo as well. The strange thing is that we didn't know at the time that anyone was recording or filming the show. I don't even remember seeing any cameras at any point. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of an interesting sort of thing kind of going on there. Um, so... Basically, too, the other thing that's kind of going on with Proud to Commit Commercial Suicide is there were um, there were two actual uh, new songs that sort of were put on at the end uh, of the live show. And I remember getting this promo. It might have been from you and Chris. And it was uh, I got it pr a promo tape used at New Moon that was this record. And it didn't have much of a cover, if I remember right. It didn't actually have the real cover to it. It was almost like. A lot of the time, those promos didn't have any cover at all. Sure. So I want to believe it was probably yours or Chris's that you sold back to the, the probably, record that's, player. Um, probably right. And, you know, I was kind of sad that there were only two song, two new songs. I, I actually didn't know at the time because, you know, this is a time too, 95, 96, whereas, you know, unless you read an interview with the band, you didn't really know what was going on. Like, I didn't know Nailbomb was like a one and done project. You know, I, I, I mm -hmm. had no idea about what, what was sort of happening with it. Um, and you, technically, I guess you got a third song because they, they did do a Ted, Dead Kennedy song, which we'll hear in the set coming up, Police Truck. Um, but it was, you know, an industrial tune called Zero Tolerance. Pretty, pretty cool tune. And then this song, which I, I kind of loved at the time uh, because of the mentality of where I was as a, as a person. But while you sleep, I destroy your world. And um, the cover of Proud to Commit Commercial Suicide was actually of the Jonesboro Massacre. And it was uh, partially created and designed, like I said before, by John Yates, who had worked with Alternative Tentacles for 10 years. And so, yeah, that whole like D D Dead Kennedy's aesthetic. I actually talked to Max. I can't remember if it's in any of the parts that uh, the interviews that we'll be playing. I might have edited it out. Um, where about like the Dead Kennedy sh like episode that we just did and, and some of the, the how he interviewed a guy that worked in the art direction. He was like, oh, that's awesome. Send that to me. So I'm going to send that to him. Um, 
once this episode gets released or whatever. But the funniest part about the uh, While You Sleep, I Destroy Your World, which we'll hear in this next set, is sort of the opening of it. And um, he says, I called up a friend of mine, Danny Marinara, uh, Marinino, the front man of a band called the Northside Kings, um, which, by oh, the way, yeah, for the, the guy that punched Danzig. The punch Danzig <laughs> yep. When he answered, I just acted like a psycho, whispering things about getting him. It was freaky. Now, if someone had tried it with me, I'd have hung up in about a second flat. But Danny kept on for about a minute saying, who's there? Who is this? And then his Italian blood got the better of him. He said, come on, tough guy. Show me what you got. At which point I hung up and then the song starts. He says, it was only when he heard the track, While You Sleep, I Destroy Your World, that Danny realized what had actually happened. We never told him before he heard it. The strange thing is, is that he was our second choice for the prank call. I was going to do it to Gloria's parents, but they weren't actually at home. Um, pretty funny story. But it says, yeah, released in October 95, pro to commit commercial suicide marked the end of Neil Baum's career, barely 18 months after it had begun. Cavalera and Newport had resisted big money offers to reunite, though the former played point blank in full on Soulfly's 2017 tour with Max's son, Igor Jr., stepping in for his erstwhile bandmate. Today, point blank represents a project whose inspiration still resonates down the years. Amazing. Even one of the uh, even one of the people involved. And this is where Max kind of says he's. Is, uh, I'm really surprised at how nail bomb has remained so important to many people. In fact, I would say that in some ways it's even bigger than ever. I think that what we did capture the pure spirit of two people who had no qualms about really ditching all restraints. We had a lot to say and we were determined to shock people. So I think that's a. Well, like even how the, I just for the first time looked at the, uh, the cover for proud to commit commercial suicide. It's yeah. Basically like the, the nail bomb logos turned into parental um, exclusive or uh, what do you call it? The parental advisory advisory yeah. warning. Later. Yeah. It's like, that's, yeah. Uh, that's I always thought it was always cute. like kind of pretty, pretty, pretty fun. You know, it wasn't yeah. like an essential record. Cause I'm not like, I'm not always big on live, live records, but it's not on uh it's not on any of the streaming services either. It is on Spotify, but you can't look it up by nail bomb. You have to look it up by proud to commit commercial suicide. <laughs> and it's because it's under various artists. Which is so fucking strange. Yeah. That's so you can like find a, it on Spotify. Like an error or something, I guess. Something, something really weird. Cause I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, oh, that's a bummer. But then I like typed in while you sleep, I destroy your world to see if it was on like a compilation. And sure enough, proud to commit commercial suicide comes up. I was like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> Various artists. Like I get there's guest stars on it, but still it's kind of, kind of strange. Yeah. So. It's not, that's, yeah, it comes down to like some type of uh, weird error of metadata or something. Yeah, yeah. So so we're going to hear a pair of tunes from Proud to Commit Commercial Suicide, which we'll talk about here in a second. But first, we're going to start with one uh, tune from uh, Point Blank, which is a song right near the uh, the last third of the record or probably even the last quarter of the record. And that's Religious Cancer. Um, confess before Jesus, Mark. Um, it's always good to have. Uh, I mean, I think um, one of my favorite bands that uses preachers in their sermons in the music is... Um, Mystery? Uh, no, Almost no. I, I would say uh, uh, Funeral Mist. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I even thought of that. Yeah. I was like, oh, shit. The, it just it just hits so so right on. Like, the, they're one of those those bands that have a lot of industrial elements, but it's not, it doesn't sound industrial whatsoever. Sure. No, yeah. It's got, like, kind of the mechanized black metal elements to it at times, but yeah. it's still... Uh, Jesus is like alone. you know half of a sermon, then by yeah. you know by throwing that fuck those riffs and drums in it, just like fuck, this is just great. 
but yeah, if you ever wanted to know whether or not they were influenced by God flesh, here's your, <laughs> this is basically God yeah. flesh, flesh propulsion and religious cancer. Um, kind of reminds me of something you'd hear off. Um, what was the God flesh album that came out this year in 94? Uh, it was the, the selfless. Yeah. Selfless. Yeah. That's it. That's what the riff kind of reminds me of. Um, you know, I love what, when a guitar sort of like cuts out because um, it's kind of like futuristic and raw kind of at the same time. And you can hear like that boom, 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 that like bass bubbling kind of part. It's, mm-hmm. it's very, very interesting. Another great Andreas noisy fucking solo, you know, throw it away, throw it away, all that stuff. So just a not an essential song, but just kind of a fun kind of late in the album kind of tune here. Um, then we get blue. Police Truck Live, uh, and we already told the story about Police Truck, so if you are new to Requiem, uh, go back and listen to the Dead Kennedys episode, and we talk all about uh, how fucked up this song is and where the, like, the true story behind it, where like cops were running like prostitution rings and doing all kinds of weird fucking shit that was, was pretty nasty <laughs> in San Francisco. So, yeah, there's always um, been some issues there. Yeah, and so because they got DH uh, Peligro, you know, to play live at the show, it, it makes sense to do a Dead Kennedys cover. You know, why not? Mm-hmm. So, and then you get the While You Sleep, I Destroy Your World. And, um, you know, the Danny, I love how long Danny stays on the phone. That's obviously like kind of a, a fun accidental thing that sort of happened. But I mean, when I was 16, which is when this record came out, 16 or 17, I love that sort of trip hop kind of prodigy kind of like beat that's underneath everything. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, it's kind of an odd novelty that that era of music sometimes doesn't age well unless you're like Massive Attack or Portisette or Tricky or something, you know. More or if you're on drugs. Yeah, or doing, you know, some ecstasy or something like that. <laughs> but, um, but you know, the, I don't think the track is meant to be like a, a as like well thought out. I think it's kind of just like a novelty song that they just decided to like plug in at the yeah. end of this live record. You know, so I think if you just take it for that, you know, I mean, it's got like weird serial killer samples. Um, you know, I love the part where it's like they have the sample where he's like, "Why do you have to kill anyone?" And then it goes right into that God flesh ministry sort of riff. It's 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 pretty cool. And it's actually Reese Fulber, I think, that's doing a lot of the the some of the stuff on this. Who did the? I think he did a lot of the keyboards on the first two Fear Factories a little bit, and then okay, he that the name sounded familiar to me. Yeah. And he's the he's like the main like keyboard synth guy in Frontline Assembly too. Okay, so he's a kind of interesting dude. Um, yeah, I don't know where the samples are from. I think one might be from Charlie Manson. I don't know if there's any from the Jonesboro Massacre or anything like that. But um, yeah, like I said, it. I'm thinking about serial killers a lot because of watching Mindhunter. So I was like, really like, oh, do I, is that, is that one of the guys I know, you know, or whatever. So, but yeah, so let's get into it. Uh, kind of our last full set of music here. We've got religious cancer uh, from point blank and then a pair of tunes from proud to commit commercial suicide. The live record put out in 1996 uh, police truck from dead Kennedy's live. And while you sleep, I destroy your world. And we'll hear from Max both at the beginning and at the end. And then when we did the fucking live show, I we assembled this this huge orchestra of musicians. We had we had uh, three drummers. We had Igor Peligro from the Dead Kennedys and Barry from Tribe After Tribe, is a South African metal alternative metal band. We had Dave from Neurosis playing bass. We had Reese from Frontline Assembly doing keyboards. And then we, we played the night before. We did a, a club show at the Dynamo for 500 people. And it was a smash. It was a great show. And I like the, the Dynamo show. 
I just think it was maybe too big for Nailbomb. You know, Nailbomb is this little underground punk thing, and that's yeah. a that's as massive, that's as Woodstock kind of kind of crowd. So there was a little bit of a the crowd was really far away, you know. But but uh, the show was intense, you know, as, in, as intense as it gets. It was it was a really really cool experience. Uh, and then Alex decided, let's kill the band uh, before it starts. <laughs> no, it was a very Alex thing to do. He was very keen into that. I, I, I couldn't care less. To me, could have continued. I like, yeah. I like playing music. You know, uh, to me, it doesn't matter. But he was very keen. He was talking about dinosaur bands like Aerosmith. We can't become like Aerosmith, man. You know. Black dinosaurs still milking the cow 30 years later. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, I know, Alex, I know, I know. Let's just, yeah, we'll kill the thing right now. We'll make the live record, we'll make a statement. So I think there's a statement, the album that refers Aerosmith. <laughs> I think he even says Aerosmith on the fucking thing. Uh, I don't know. It was, it was, I guess it was Alex's way, like punk way to say this is unique. This is one of a kind, you know. Uh, you won't do it again, but uh, yeah, uh, if it was up to me, I would I would do it another one. Confess before Jesus.
we had a lot of fun making the two records that we made. You know, we did the Point Blank and then we did uh, Proud to Commit Commercial Suicide, which was first originally titled Better Dead Than Livestream. <laughs> and I always loved that name too. I thought that was, that was a good name. But then I think it was something to do with, I think we sent some kind of demos to Roadrunner, to Monty. And, and I think he heard it and he said something to the effect to go like, this sounds like they're going to commit commercial suicide. <laughs> and I was, I look at Alex like, that's a fucking great title. Proud to commit commercial suicide. Let's use that. That sounds great. That's, that's nail bomb in a, in a slogan right there. Um, another cool thing we did on the record, we, we prank call Danny uh, Marianino from, he's, he's, he's the guy that punched Danzig from uh, Northside Kings. He used to work with his dad on his dad's furniture store. So I had his number. I call him and I'm just going. <sighs> and, and he would not hang up. He kept talking. Who is this? What do you want? Who is this? You going to talk? Come on. Who is this? And I was thinking with myself, like, if that was me, I would hang up in the first five seconds. Like, fuck this. You know, but he kept on it for like two minutes. And then finally goes, He's, he's from New Jersey. He goes, come on, tough guy, talk. And we kick in into the song. It's like, and I never told him about the prank call. I waited until the record came out and I gave him a copy of the record. I go, I go, listen, go listen to this record, you know. And then, you know, he calls me later. You motherfucker. You put that fucking prank call. I always, always wonder about that prank call. And it was funny because we called. We caught two people before Danny. We, we called uh, Gloria's brother and he didn't answer the phone. So he was the first victim. And then we called Gloria's dad and he also didn't answer the phone. So Danny was the third one. We were like clinching for like, we got, we have to get this fucking prank call, you know? Like, who does shit like that, man? It's like, that's so punk rock and, and, and it's just so much fun. Well, I think the world has gone more down the tubes as, as we get older, things get worse. And I think because of that, people get more drawn to the record. It's almost like the record becomes more relevant now than, than when it was first made. You know, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a creepy way, uh, you can say, uh, uh, yeah, you can reference, you know, 24 hour bullshit could be the internet. We had no idea of those. Uh, things I, I think it's the spirit of the, the of the thing man you know it's it, it had a it had an attitude like a, a fuck you punk attitude with some really good riffing you know i think me and alex we locked in uh and it was was cool it was like i appreciate alex's heavy riffs and he appreciate my chugging sepultura riffs and that love for each other's riffs combining into what we put on an album, you know, I think that was the, the, the combination of, of both of those. I think all those things create a record that even to, even today, I think it, the record doesn't sound outdated. It doesn't sound um, like it lost anything, you know, it's still exciting to, to listen to it. Uh, I think out of, I, almost like out of every record that I did, it's one of the, the ones that I feel the most have not lost anything through the years is probably an album, you know, it feels very fresh. Sonically sounds good. It's a good sounding record. Uh, even though it was created in, 
in very DUI format. You know, we just did it all ourselves, but for some reason came out really, really good. You know, it's yeah. really good quality, uh, angry shit, man. You know, <laughs> that people connected to it, man, all over the world still to this day, people connecting to this record, which is cool. While you sleep, I destroy your world, Mark. Um, police truck Freddy and religious cancer. So yeah, yeah Freddy Krueger. Um, and so, yeah, as we kind of are, you know, riding out in style here, we got a pair of tunes that are kind of companion pieces to sort of end the show. Uh, we'll hear from Max a couple more times as well. Um, or one more time, sorry. But uh, I want to kind of talk about, you know, the last episode, Fudge Tunnel, we didn't uh, get to, to, to do some of this stuff. Plus, we recorded him so long ago. We actually had a slew of new patrons, which is uh, really good. So hopefully, I don't, I don't know what, what you're digging out there or what shows maybe you're catching up and getting the Misfits and Dead Kennedys and starting to be like, okay, this is, man, these guys are putting some time in. But We're we really all the uh, long haul truckers. <laughs> we might be. Yeah, yeah. Um, Josh Bonham uh, donated. Uh, he's signed up to be a, a ten dollar patron, so good for him. Daniel Glover upped his uh, patron donations from ten dollars to fifteen a month. So Daniel, thank you. Good sir, um, thank you. Jim Fenner uh, came in at ten dollars. Uh, Tom Piddle Piddletick uh, at ten dollars. Ronnie Sanders uh, signed up to be a ten dollar guy. Uh, Alexander Caston uh, Gui. Uh, signed up uh, for the $10 donation. And then we got a $150 one-time donation. Um, I, I shared half of that with you, I think from Italy. So hopefully you got that one. Yeah. yeah. Um, so from very man. cool. From yeah. the man. Uh, from you, the man. You cut, you cut out for a second. Oh, did I? Sorry. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so it was uh, Andreas very, Perez. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, I, I didn't hear that part because it, uh... but yeah, so um so thank you for all the people there. And if you want to become a patron, uh, we just released a three plus hour uh, episode on Florida death metal uh, kind of un unsung kind of band brutality uh, who had a pair of albums in the early nineties that were pretty, pretty fucking awesome. Mm -hmm. And um, some of their newer stuff, not so bad as well. Um, and they just actually put out kind of a new EP, I think recently we were, we meant the reason we held on to that for a while is we were going to have Jay Fernandez, the guitar player um, to do an interview and something fell through. And then he just, I, I reached That's out to him personal issues or something. So yeah, I reached out to him a few more times and I don't know if he just was no longer interested or just had other things going on. So I was like, ah, Screw it. So yeah. So ignore uh, all the references to the Jay Fernandez uh, uh, interview in that episode. But uh, otherwise, I put a little thing in the beginning that. Oh, did you? Okay, cool. Yeah. This, is, this episode is originally supposed to have contributions from. Good. Good. All right. So yeah. So people will know. But yeah. So um, if you that that and we did a, a best of 2021 two part episode. Um, you know, back in like January February. And if you're interested in becoming a Patreon, uh, go to patreon.com uh, forward slash uh, Requiem podcast or go to uh, requiemmetal.com, uh, our website, where you can find old episodes. Uh, the first 150 episodes are up there. If you've kind of ever wondered why our numbering starts at like uh, Stooges Part 2, I think episode 152 or something like that. Um, it's a long story for newer Patreon or for newer uh, Requiem people. But just know that uh, you can find those old episodes on the website, or you can also go to that website and there is a link directly to Patreon to sign up there. 
And um, now we have direct feeds for those Patreon episodes so that you can get them in your Spotify or Apple as its own separate feed. So you don't have to stream uh, those, those episodes and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. It only took about um, five years, but we figured yeah. it out. And we're, you know, we're a nonprofit podcast. We're commercial free. So that's kind of how we, we pay the bills. We pay for, you know, the albums and research and, and books and all the hosting things services and all that kind of shit. Yep. You know, the, we just, Mark was just telling me that now the zoom that we're using to do this um, no longer has like the free two person uh, zoom. And now we got to pay like 12 bucks a month for that uh, 15.99 a month okay yeah so yeah. so all of it helps uh because we do put a lot of effort into these episodes we hope you appreciate that um so yeah so again patreon.com forward slash requiem podcast or uh you can go to requiemmetal.com and click on the patreon link there you don't have to do a ten dollars or 15 we have a lot of you know some people doing five few people doing two or three if that's all you can afford but you know, I think one time we'll, donation, if you'd like. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. We've gotten those certainly in the past. Um, and maybe we should know. get a 401c nonprofit status so you could write off on your taxes. It would be nice. Oh, so uh, <laughs> by the way, I found out why we didn't get paid out uh, last time, uh, why it was delayed. It's because I had to fill out the, the tax stuff because we had reached the, the tax threshold. So that's why they held on to our payment. So we should be, a, we should get, oh, get okay. regularly now. The so. 1099 thing. Yeah. So I had to fill that out and then it like came. Cause I think that's right. When you were like going to, um, to beer fest, right. You were like, Hey, the, the Patreon stuff come. I'm like, yeah, I'm waiting for it too. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was already yeah. extended pretty. Yeah. So I reached out this many trips in a year and found out and they're like, Oh, well you need to do this. I'm like, Oh shit. Well, no one emailed me that and told me. So good thing yeah. I asked and inquired, but, um, yeah, and then if you want to give us feedback on episodes, uh, we're about to read a bunch of feedback that we've gotten in recent uh, times. You can uh, check us out uh, at Jason Mark on uh, Facebook. Um, we have a private group for our Patreons there as well. Mighty and, Raven uh, Darks. Yeah, Ma Mighty Raven Darks. A uh, little mortal reference there. And um, or was it Raven Dusk? I can't remember Raven Dark. Whatever, whatever the immortal thing is. It's some. Um, it's some immortal. Some immortal reference. reference to, yeah, and then. Um, you can check us out on uh, Twitter, Requiem Metal Podcast. Uh, they're at uh, Podcast Requiem, but you can also look at us, look us up there or on Instagram, which I, I check now and again. I don't use it as much, but I think I have Instagram kind of linked to Facebook now. So when I post stuff on Facebook, it goes to Instagram. So okay. Well, I'm always on Instagram as just my name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's usually the only social media I'm on. I check the, the uh, our, our you know, closed group every once in a while, you sure. know, a couple times a week or something. But yeah. Yeah. But, uh, and you can follow Mark's, uh, his other fun little venture into GI Joe land on Instagram too. Yeah. It's a uh, Lonzo Wilkinson, 1982. <laughs> if you want to see pictures of dioramas <laughs> that I build with GI Joe guys inside of it. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> um, who doesn't, you know, who doesn't? Exactly. You know, that's totally makes sense. Right. Well, it's like you with toys and me with like my recent X-Men exploration, but we're, we're mm -hmm. kind of rediscovering our, our childhood kind of nostalgic nerd kind of pathways and it feels well, pretty and good. just like yeah re-examining all of it and getting like super deep into you know production side of thing like all kinds of shit so it's for sure just like uh just like music and comics and everything else you can't just be a passive observer sure sure so we've got uh a couple of things to oh and also you can send us just a direct email at requiem um uh, 
podcast at gmail.com if you want to just send us a message that way. Also, leave us a, a rating at Spotify or on Apple Music. Uh, write us a review. Leave us a rating. We do appreciate that. And we try and read those when we get some new ones. But um, I did post something about the Chasm show on the Chasm's uh, site. And the Chasm wrote back and they said, much appreciation for the time invested on that. So that was the, the first little feedback I wanted nice. to read. Um, pretty cool. Uh, one of our patrons, Jordan Bondo, said, uh, Fu Manchu episode. He says, your conversation about girls being the most filthy, slobby people. Dude, why are they like that? I, too, always assume their rooms would be neat and tidy with rainbows and unicorns and shit all over the place. No, I think all the girls I dated in my teens and early 20s were like that. Mountains of clothes and makeup everywhere. In high school, when they still lived at home, it was just contained on their own room. But later, when it was their own house, the whole thing would be just clothes and makeup everywhere. Do you want to come over to my house? Quote. And do what? Help you figure out which pile of shit your cat crawled under and died? No thanks. Uh, one of our patrons, Jess, uh, she retorted that she's like, no, I've been to some guy's houses pretty filthy. And I was, yeah, touche. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is mostly a sausage fest. So I'm, I'm glad we have Jess there to kind of e- equal things out a little bit as For far sure. as vocal contributors to the show. You need some of that. So yeah. uh, Ronnie Sanders, who just uh, I read was a, a brand new patron. Um, he says, uh, just finished listening to fudge tunnel podcast. I really appreciate how much you guys know about music in general. As much as I love metal, I also grew up on punk, post-punk reggae, prog rock and fusion. What's making me reach out was your comments about Nick cave during the, uh, fudge tunnel podcast. And I'd love to hear, stick your hand in that garbage can as the great unknown Hinson would say, I can't think of a more relevant artist today. That's been doing it as long as he has and still is. I'm guessing it would have to be a three to four part and take around 12 hours, but I'd love to hear it. So, <laughs> Hey, Mark and I are both big Nick cave fans. So yeah, who knows? I've, I've seen them once in concert. I know Brian Wendorf, one of our patrons would be uh, really, really into that. So, and this was in response to maybe Fudge Tunnel. I can't remember, but it's uh, one of our patrons, Tommy uh, Sozaby, who has his own um, really cool uh, podcast called, um, oh my God, uh, Something Emporium. I'm, I'm forgetting it real quick. Hang on, I'll look it up. I just, um, I just always uh, remark at how he's distorted. got a, a great voice for radio. He does. It's great. Yeah, Distorted Emporium. And he, the, they got up to, uh, I think there's 16 episodes. Yeah, and they're, uh, those are fun. I sometimes will put those on when I'm cleaning the house and stuff. But he says, uh, to answer the question regarding ministry post-Solemn 69, he says, I, I thought real ground blood was decent. Of course, it's not even in the same league as Psalm 69, Honey or Mind. It does have Tommy Victor on guitar, though, so there are some great riffs, even if a lot of the uh, George W. Bush samples and references seem dated. And uh, Seth uh, Forsman, who you probably ran into maybe at um, Beer Fest. I, th- I know he was there. Um, uh, I don't remember if I did or not. He said he saw you guys sitting in the balcony, basically, so I think he was across the, the rival balcony or whatever. But Okay. This is in regard to the Fudge Channel episode. And I think it's probably in regard to stuff I was maybe commenting about because we're the same age. Because mm-hmm. he says, damn, dude, there were a few moments in this one where you talked about being 13 or 14 in the early 90s that hit so close to home, I almost got emotional. <laughs> That's pretty cool <laughs> feedback. Um, this is from one of our patrons, uh, Sterling Walden. He says, just listen to the second part of the Fudge Tunnel episode. I knew of them, but never really listened to them. Spent all last weekend doing yard work listening to the Fudge Tunnel discography. My favorite so far is Hate Songs, but that could change with time. Thanks again for the best podcast ever. I also heard you mention Pantera's Great Southern Trend Kill album. I think it's their best album. I bought it the day it came out in 96, and I used to listen to it every day on the bus ride to school. Very underrated album. Definitely worth a deep dive, in my opinion. Keep rocking. Cool. Thanks for that. 
And then this one is uh, uh, a patron, Mark Gold. He says, I'm really enjoying the Doom series a lot. This is back uh, the end of April, beginning of May. Um, I, I didn't catch it in time because he actually posted on the Patreon show. Um, I always forget to look for comments there. So that's my bad. Sorry, patrons. I should, I should get that app too, just so I can interact. Yeah, yeah, just interact. He says, I'm enjoying the Doom series a lot. I'm rediscovering bands I've forgotten about in the 90s. The winter episodes are my favorite so far. I'm really digging Godin uh, quite a bit. Thanks for your dedication. Looking forward to new episodes. Any chance you guys would do an episode on grief? Uh, yeah, we uh, mm-hmm. we talked about it as being maybe when we did the Doom series last summer, um, a potential Patreon show on grief. But uh, we ended up moving in a different direction with Fu Manchu because tonally we just wanted to do something a little brighter. I think because we were we were in the, we're pretty dour for a while. It was summertime, man, and we were we were trying to trying to raise our spirits a bit. Got to get there. our boogie vans all cleaned yeah, up exactly. and ready for action. Uh, this is another patron, Terry Corbin. He says, catching up on stuff and start at the first Fudge Tunnel episode. Loving the approach you're do, uh, both doing, echoing the Neurosis series, which just got me hooked. Uh, so good job. I got to the point where you uh, casually mentioned a possibility of a ministry episode down uh, sometime down the road. Two words, fuck yes. And on the topic of which albums post Psalm 69 are worth it, for me personally, Animosity was the last solid album from them. Dark Side of the Spoon is mostly skippable, uh, with the exception of a couple tracks or B-sides. Uh, big fan of Filth Pig, too, but Animosity uh, marked the last album that Paul Barker was on, so that might skew my opin- opinion on it a bit. Um, after what was just a heavy, guitar-driven, anti-Bush albums, uh, they seem to lack a lot of the noisy... Hang on. Uh, uh, a lot of the noisy appeal that drew me into their earlier albums. Uh, and then just a bunch of cover albums and remix collections. Highlight was their cover of The Doors' Roadhouse Blues. Okay, well, never heard that. Hmm. Uh, it says, as Mark pointed out, there's a lot of releases, a lot of recycled stuff put out by Cleopatra Records, side project collections, pre-Twitch singles, etc. Speaking of Twitch, there's a book uh, bootleg called Twitched that has the original track listing with different mixes of songs, different songs that is interesting. Look at the band sequencing versus label sequencing. Obviously a lot of interest in ministry, plus their various side projects. I think Jason uh, brought up an industrial band that Ian McKay was involved in. I believe that was Palehead with Al from ministry. Yep. Okay. I didn't realize that he was in that. Yeah. And and Max brings up Palehead too. So I was like, Oh, okay, cool. So um, let's see. This is uh, the new patron, Ronnie Sanders. Uh, this is on the Patreon site. And he says, I really enjoyed the Fudge Tunnel episodes. I used to listen to them back in the day and got to see them at the Trocadero in Philly on that Ooh, tour. Good venue. Yeah. yeah. Um, is that where we saw Watain? The Trocadero? Uh, no, we saw that was at the, uh, like the, fuck, it was something, the something, Human Arts Theater or something. Oh, okay. Got it. Okay. Trocadero is a little bit bigger. That's where... Um, the first time I went there was the Contaminated Festival where Neurosis was playing in uh, early 2000s. 2000s, yeah, yeah. I remember. Okay. Um, but yeah, he says, I haven't listened to them in years, so this has really brought me back. He says, listening to the In Solitude podcast now, and I'm really enjoying it. I never heard this band before. Unfortunately, their vinyl is crazy expensive. So, Ooh, I'm glad I got it all. <laughs> Um, here's one from Joe Schaefer uh, of Northwest um, Terrafest. Terrafest, yes. I almost said Metal Fest to me, Fest. He says, uh, so, brutality, period. I skipped these guys at MDF in 2018, uh, I think, because they had a rough conflict at Soundstage, and frankly, I didn't know the band. I love their logo. Yes, dragons. But figured they were <laughs> middling Tampa stuff, hence why I'd never heard of them. 
Not to mention a lot of these bucket list old school death metal bands are, let's face it, good, but not great. Putting brutality in that bracket seemed like a safe bet. Boy, was I wrong. I see exactly why this comes up after the chasm on Spotify. The perfect mix of grand old school melodies and hammering violence. Love their cinematic, fantastic imagery as well. Sea, sea of Ignorance is going to get a ton of plays from me in the near future. Definitely belongs in my most beloved old school death metal box alongside Impaled, The Chasm, and Deceased. Not to stir the pot, but come on, it's me. This is my true will. But I find something much more compelling in this than a lot of the bands that, that quote unquote made it. Even uh, even even them only kind of. And he mentions Massacre, Monstrosity, etc. So, yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, some of those bands probably have an, uh, not an unearned reputation, but yeah. Um, he says, churning gloom has its charms, but why bother when immolation exists? <laughs> True. Yep. Uh, he says, brutality. This is special. I'll never skip them again. Who knows? Maybe they'd like to play Terror Fest someday. Uh, thanks so much for the episodes, dude. So, yeah, pretty cool. Sweet. Um, yeah. So let's see. Why don't you read one of your letters Why queue up on something else? Here? We've got another ministry uh thing here this is from mr nick green who is a contributor on the uh oh, the fudge tunnel. he uh oh. just finished up the fudge tunnel episode super okay. entertaining very insightful always enjoy hearing your perspectives on influences of bands and how they are regifted in the music uh, echoing the chorus you should totally do a ministry show uh do a deep dive maybe uh with pig face rolled in but i'd love to see you guys tackle killing joke first that's oh, a big yeah. band for metalheads especially yeah. Um, when they want to do Pandemonium. That album is heavy. Yep. I've been thinking about Killing Joke. I've been kind of putting some thoughts in my brain and just just, just know that it's definitely, you're not the first person, Nick, and it's something we've, we've widely considered. But It's going to require that, a lot of research on my part. I only know the first record decently. I think, I think yeah, we want to get the right people involved. I know Chris is a big fan. I know Brian Wendorf's a big fan. Um, I'm not sure like how available the guys are if they might want to be involved. But it's it's this definitely is one something. That ben Ash is wants to be involved with too. They talked okay, about cool. it about three years ago. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So so I think it's let's just say it's uh, definitely something in the horizon for 2023. Um, I think you know that we can do it kind of right. So yeah, um, absolutely. Um, this is one from, uh, I think it was on Twitter. It's from a guy that follows us, muted account. And he just said, learning about Dax Riggs post-acid bath career, uh, thanks to uh, Requiem Metal Podcast, has been quite the eye-opener these past few days. He actually, I think, just posted that yesterday. So it's pretty cool. Nice. Glad people are still kind of going back to that sort of stuff a little. Um, this is somebody uh, talking about the Chasm episode. Um, I forget who's this guy. Um, oh, He's a guy who follows on Twitter. Uh, his tag is I'm the hateful uh, Riven, but he's uh, editor for Your Last Rights, which I think is like a zine of some sort. Okay. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, but he said, uh, catching up on part one of the chasm on the bit about lost years and absolutely grinning at some of the comparisons you guys are making. Exactly what I love about it. Um, also stoked I'm not the only one who'd pick my tideless seas with a gun to my head. So pretty cool. Um, he said that and let's see, you got some more here, uh, heavy metal hippie who follows us. Um, he says, oh my God, I'm trying to interpret what he's referencing. Um, he says, sounds like a fascinating episode. I'm trying to think what he's freaking making a reference to. Um, oh, I know what it is. Yeah. So I, 
I think he's making a reference to uh, Fudge Tunnel when I posted it. And he basically is giving us a comment. He says, don't know if I've said this to you guys before, um, but you guys did more to get me back into metal than anything else. I took a very long break from 1995 to 2010 because I thought I was too cool for metal. Once I got back into your podcast, though, you guys brought me up to speed so quickly. Um, maybe this is where you're going with this, but I'm uh, realizing tonight that a lot of this music has defined the sensibilities of the metal bands that I truly love. Catatonia is the first one that comes to mind. So, nice. yeah, so that's cool. That was more of a general comment just about the podcast in general. Well, that's, um, that's a great compliment to get from anybody to oh, pull, you, pull sure. you back in after that long. For sure. Yeah, somebody was posting about the chasm and then uh, another person posting under it in, uh, by the tag drug dogs. This is, Somehow I've managed to live this long without checking out the chasm. Infernal hails to podcast Requiem for altering this wayward course for me with a scintillating two-part episode on this incredible band. I'm newly obsessed. So, and, and drug dogs, is uh, he's a cartoonist. Um, yeah. Well, hello, fellow cartoonist. Yeah, there you go. So, not oh. many of us call ourselves cartoonists, but I think so it's, a, it's a great past. It's a great uh, uh, term to use. I'll, I'll send this to you, Mark. He does a zine called Drug Dog Zine, and he did like Kiss Dynasty posters. He did a Trouble Zine on Trouble, and did stickers for it. Um, nice. He did, yeah. So, like, pretty cool shit. So, if you're listening. Um, let us know. I don't know if the, the website's the only way to get it, but definitely I'm, I'm interested in checking out some of your stuff. It, it seems really kind of fun. Yeah, I'd love to see a trouble zine. Yeah. Um, pretty cool. This is one from a, a few days, a couple weeks back. Um, Jordan Bondo, um, one of our uh, patrons, and he's talking about the best of 2021 uh, Patreon episodes. He said, I've been listening to the honorable mentions from the best of Patreon episode. Man, I don't know how you came up with what made the list and what didn't. These are all great. A couple of my favorites are The Holder, The 1914, The Silver, The Lurking Fear, Dream on Ending, Genghis Tron. I love Chelsea Wolf, so I'd already listened to that Converge collab a zillion times, so that wasn't a new one to me. Speaking of Genghis Tron. If you like that, you should check out Zombie. Uh, I think both of us have checked out Zombie before. Pretty cool. Yeah, the relapse, the relapse um, band. Yep. So yeah. So great, great recommendation, Jordan. Actually, the uh, silver was great live. They opened up the first day of the Decibel Fest. Oh yeah, yeah. That record's great. It's. Um, I still haven't heard, deep, heard the whole record. Just like a little bit of it, but I know. Um, Dude, some uh, en Enrique is the is the drummer. Oh, it's in it's Enrique from uh, what's oh, God? I was we were standing in line with Enrique, bullshitting with him. At, yeah, from at, I mean he's he's PR Herb at Relapse, Sermon. but then, yeah, yeah. Herb Sermon. Yeah. And it's yeah. also the two brothers from uh, uh, Horrendous. Okay, yeah, that's who it was. I keep saying Two Mold because I get Two Mold, Horrendous, and Blood Incantation. They all like <laughs> the members all blend together, and I can never remember. They're all good U.S. death metal bands. Yeah, yeah. All those Two Molds, I think Canadian, right? I think they're true. Canadian. True. Um, they're on the same continent. North American. North American. Yeah. Um, and then we got another one from Seth uh, again, and this is about Fudge Tunnel. He says, this is a band akin to one of those classic movies that you would always pick up at the video store on a Friday night, consider, and then put back and file it away for a later viewing that you never get to. Not because you think it will be bad, but because there is likely no instant gratification. It was as great an episode as ever, but I really only have one other thing to say. It is always inspirational to hear the story of a band who had no idea yeah, how to play anything. Uh, hang on, I'm making this a little bit bigger so it's easier to read. Um, had no idea uh, how to play anything that just picked up instruments and made art. I've been playing music since 1993. And in that time, I've played in a million bands and spent myriad hours practicing and jamming and going to lessons. And all that 
I have been part of exactly one album. Some people are born with the right chemical makeup to be able to pick up anything and find a way to express themselves with it. I honestly had only ever heard their changes cover from the uh, Masters of Misery uh, album in high school. Yet I always knew their name. This episode made me think of so many other groups like this one who deserve a proper deep dive. I'm going to go ahead and make another request for a future Patreon uh, lottery uh, episode that has nothing to do with Fudge Tunnel. Oh, here you go, Mark. Interesting. Ah. Uh, Skepticism. Yeah. Um, and I've talked to Mark about skepticism kind of off mic. I think we talked about it in the best of too. So well, I know even Albert's, uh, he sent me a, you know, every once in a while I get a, a random text from him. Uh-huh. And I was like, Hey, I think this is the skepticism song you need to hear. Oh, cool. So to, I, to get you on the other, yeah. So, so like Mark's right getting team. a, Mark's getting a full court press from skepticism. <laughs> right now, apparently. Uh, he says, I know that Funeral Doom is not your favorite thing to delve into, which is totally understandable. It's kind of like taking care of a f- special needs dog. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's rewarding uh, in retrospect, but exactly. while it's happening, you're like, God damn it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Frustrating, exhausting, but rewarding in the end. That's exactly well, what you said. That's probably the best uh, <laughs> description I've ever heard of Funeral Doom. Oh shit! Having a near special needs dog, you know that that passed this year. So does that mean that does that mean that Chris really needs to have a special needs dog because he loves funeral doom? Maybe he's. I, I think he does. Maybe he really needs something to take care of on that level. You know, might be. Um, but he says for some reason I'm super intrigued by skepticism. The bow tie, the song, the album titles, the drum style, which is like listening to an angry drunk try to play along in a jam <laughs> session at 3 a.m. trying not to pass out and fall over. Yeah, in a good way. Someday yeah. I hope you too can help me and many other listeners understand what the fuck kind of brilliance is going on here. I know it's there. So yeah, I know it's there too. I just, I've never really unpacked it myself. So yeah, pretty funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh man. Uh, Jason Leonard re- responded. He's one of our patrons, Michigan guy. Um, he actually went to CMU, used to shop at new moon when you and I were working there. So oh, nice. I kind of recognize him, but like, he was also like, um, I can't remember what stuff he was buying at the time. He might've been more, I think he had one foot more in like mainstream metal, but he was kind of like delving a bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but he said he, he had worked for a record store um, back in his like hometown and he got a promo item. He says from his uh, music store days, he says, it's a very clever, it's a sticker applied over Tootsie roll logo. Um, and I had it that. had candy. Did you have that too? Okay. Yep, I got yeah. that. I, I mean, yep. I taught, I mean, I had so much, it's, it's sucks so much. I, you know, I've moved so many times in the last, 35 years that the stuff I've thrown away is kind of shitty. Sure. Or I thought like, uh, who, who's going to care about this? But you know, who knows? I, I definitely had that. I ate all the Tootsie Rolls. And it says, write the hate song on it. Maybe. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. He yeah. said he still uses it for a change bank almost three years later. <laughs> cool. I wish I would. have. Yeah. If I wouldn't have moved so much, I probably would have all this crap, but yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And then another one of our, uh, I think a patron, Simon Moles uh, said, interesting anecdote. The guy on the cover of Complicated Futility of Ignorance is my old line manager from one of my old jobs. When I started <laughs> work there, he saw I was into metal and asked if I'd heard of Fudge Tunnel. I always loved the band. So I was chuffed to find that out. So it's pretty, pretty funny. Nice. Pretty cool. And then uh, this I've got is one. Uh, let's go. I got one more. Okay. And I'll yeah, let you finish up. But this one's a little bit longer. This is um, about the Typo Negative podcast. Oh, this is from Tim. I'm going to try to pronounce his name, Ushold. Okay. That's what it is. As a 33-year-old, uh, I never understood why people like the, this is in quotes, alt-rock band, Typo Negative, uh, growing up back in the day. 
Uh, if it wasn't similar to Burzum, Anal Cunt, Electric Wizard, Agathosol... Oh, Jesus Christ, what the fuck? Oh, I know that band. I can never I've never, I've never heard the name. Agathalese, yeah. yeah or like Devarma. I figured, why fucking try? Uh, you've opened my world to some sweet jams and emotional-filled lyrics to contemplate. So many of the songs you played are relevant to my life experiences. My father passed away in December, so I can relate uh, to the grief with a grin. My wife is a huge country fan. I finally found a band that she can do with besides Black Sabbath, <laughs> as in type one negative. Uh, I want to talk about carnivore. Yeah, I want to talk about carnivore for a minute. Uh, the carnivore history lesson was perfect. Carnivore was always has always been a go to for showing ple- plebeians uh, the time you spent covering the slow part of male supremacy. Brought up a funny memory at a local carnivore AD show. Uh, a few years back, I got punched in the throat in the mosh pit right before the slow part, and a bunch of dudes <laughs> followed me to the bathroom thinking I was going to die, and I told oh, them to shit. fuck off, and I was enjoying the show. Uh, I spent the show I spent the show dry heaving and laughing extremely hard at the irony. Uh, I drunkenly puked in the same bathroom before a local metal show, not a dirge about making love after battle. Uh, thanks for the memories. So uh, thank you, Tim. That's awesome. That's the I first know. punched in the throat bit of yeah. feedback. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Um, the last comment I have, I think, from this set of things is um, it was an Instagram comment about the Chasm show. Um, and I don't know who this is. They Their tag, uh, their their name is mashed potatoes up my ass. So there, there you go. Delicious. <laughs> yeah. He says, glad I took a listen to these episodes. I've never listened to this band. And when I started the podcast, I wasn't blown away, but the songs got better and better as the podcast progressed. I'm assuming their albums do as well. When I got to the three song block of Fortress, Retribution of the Lost Years, and the Eclipse Monument of the Empire, I felt like my 12 year old self again. I'm 41. Discovering metal for the first time again, laughing at how good it was. Glad I took a chance at this one and usually only listen to your podcast with bands I'm already familiar with, considering how long and in-depth they are. With that said, I jumped on board when y'all released the Neurosis Silver and Blood episodes, and I still feel like there should be more Neurosis episodes. Don't worry. We do do an annual Neurosis episode every couple of years. So we're we're due probably one in 2023. Mm -hmm. Um, Going forward, I'll have to check, check, check. Keep checking uh, and giving bands that you cover that I'm less familiar with a shot as the Chasm episodes have blown me away, which is pretty cool. Um, so hang on. Here. A lot of Chasm love. Yeah, no, that was, was, was really fun. I'm glad that people dug that because that was a, a labor of love in a way. And I was kind of like nervous a little about it. So I had two more uh, episodes. Oh, speaking of Chasm love. All right. Uh, Jessica Shrum. I love the Chasm episodes. It was such a great placement to following the more mainstream popularity of Dead Kennedys and Misfits. And it just felt refreshing to circle back to something that felt more traditionally Requiem, a deep dive into a fucking amazing underappreciated metal band. Good God, they were talented. I had heard of them, but honestly hadn't dove into their music much. From about 1995 forward, I'm all in. The musicianship is outstanding no matter what subgenre of metal they're experimenting with. Their songwriting is mind-blowing. It's so passionate, but still super technical and well-crafted. Like my only possible criticism would be that I I like every damn song so much that none of them stand out as a favorite. They're all my favorites. I, I, I that. I'll definitely be tracking these albums down to add to my collection. I enjoyed hearing their story too. Their struggles with assholes in the record industry and the conviction to stick to their vision. So awesome. Thank you uh, for yet another great one and for all that you do. And uh, Chasm's actually about to release their new record. It's pretty cool. 
So was um, it, I thought wasn't the main dude kind of like done with it for a while? Something I, that's what mind. I heard. But yeah, yeah, so so who knows? We we hit the zeitgeist right at the right moment where nice. it's kind of starting to happen. So so that's that's a lot of good feedback. So uh, again, if you want your voice heard, uh, definitely you know don't have to be a Patreon. We read letters from non Patreons too when people send us that stuff. But yeah, you can uh, get us a message at Requiem uh, Metal at Gmail or like I said on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can kind of find us there and get us some messages and feedbacks and all that kind of good stuff. So we've got uh, just a pair of tunes that we're going to kind of wrap up with. We'll hear from Max one last time. And um, the pair of tunes is one that's pretty much just an instrumental kind of uh, one plus minute song, Shit Pinata. Um, it's just really what, a, what a what a name, huh? I know. Perfect intro for my favorite <laughs> nail bomb uh, song, which is Sick Life. And uh, Max will tell you the story a little bit about Shit Pinata, I think, here and kind of where it was constructed and the samples that were kind of used and stuff like that. I think it's from a talk show he mentions here, maybe. I can't remember. Some, something. He tells a story. I was doing so much Max editing yesterday. I, I can't remember like what stories with what sometimes. But uh, for me, my favorite Nail Bomb song is the album uh, Closer, which is Sick Life. And um, if you're familiar with the CD, for people that maybe don't know, um, and Mark, you probably never got to this point, but you probably remember in the 90s how um, there were hidden tracks. That was a kind of a thing that was kind of going on. Oh, yeah. And so Sick Life originally is like a 13-minute long song, but the song itself is only about six minutes. But at the very, very end, there's kind of a hidden track. Uh, we're not going to play it, but you can kind of find it on your own. Um, and he, Max said, that was fun. We started playing a sample of Sepultura's Dead Embryonic Cells, and then we mixed it with Fudge Tunnel's Spanish Fly, and it came out really cool. We <laughs> sped it up and slowed down the tape. So, so if you remember that bonus track and you're like, man, this sounds like familiar, it's because it's like the part from dead embryonic cells and then yeah. they start mixing fudge tunnel in with it and merging it so kind of an interesting thing there but um i love the staccato beginning of sick life um it's very tribal very organic feeling um it's very epic what's that the groove is back it's yeah it's a, it's got that oh, that ksad kind of groove for sure I said it's it falls in line with that sort of those big riff records of the era, like kind of down uh, Nola or like COC blind or mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, it's got the great sort of false finish, like kind of praise of death from Slayer, where it's like just like erupts into feedback and you kind of think the song's over. And then all of a sudden it fades out and then like Max with, oh, you know, just kind of brings it back in. Um, but it's, you know, it's about drug abuse. It's about, you know, it, it's it's. It's just sad, you know, uh, yeah. life no longer turns me on my friends. They already forgot me, you know, and it's just, it's got that weight to it that you get with like some of your achievements and, and some of that stuff. Um, it's the same kind of weight that you hear on like some songs on KSAD a little bit too, that like, I always felt like nomad or um, some of that stuff that was just like, had, had a, a, a more profundity to it, if we want to use some fancy terms or whatever. But Biotech is Godzilla. Yeah, maybe not that one. That one's more of a <laughs> that one's more of a D-beat kind of blind and lost type song. Yeah. So Jello's on that. Yes. Dead Kennedy's connection. So, but yeah, so uh, there you go. There's our little venture into Nail Bomb, a little bit more short and sweet from, from I guess, for Requiem uh, purposes, um, a little bit more poignant. But uh I can warn you that the next uh, episode we get might be kind of a, a double-sized uh, sort of golden nugget to sort of uh, kick off your your you know midsummer uh, blues. 
Um, it's something that everybody loves. That's all I can say. Um, and it's something that we're definitely going to revisit uh, from the past. And um, I think people will be happy. This is a band that makes everybody happy. And uh, so Gorefest. Gorefest. Yes. Uh, awesome. Awesome. Late, late era Gorefest, Mark. Not Ooh. early era. Yeah. We're doing all the, the late crappy 90s. vocals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. That's, My favorite. Yeah. We could it's uh, gonna do be another deep, Eindhoven deep, deep live deep album. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although, you know what? I don't know if it was Eindhoven, but I did love the live version. I know it's an early Gorefest. I love the live mental misery that was on one of those um, nuclear blast comps. So this next Jean one, Chris DeCoyer. Yeah. Mystery. Yeah. So yeah, we'll have to eventually do a dive into like good Gorefest, but I'm not in a hurry. First two records, I think. Yeah. First two or three. I Before think, they well, changed the logo to the GF. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. It's bad. So <laughs> no, it won't be Gorefest, ladies and gents. You'll have to wait and see, but we'll be back on our two week schedule now that I'm home from Italy. Um, Chris is going to be coming home this summer. So we might be grabbing him perhaps maybe to, to show up for an episode. We'll see. I got to kind of find out what his schedule is, but definitely some, some interesting things on the horizon. So I, I, I hope, uh, I hope our little like three episode venture into fudge tunnel nail bomb. If you're not a fan of this era of music, I get it. It's definitely its own niche, but I think we'll return to something that will be more, um, more welcome for the the majority of extreme metal fans and and not necessarily all extreme metal. It can be just metal fans. So mm -hmm. um, a couple of my students actually like this band, which is pretty cool. And they're not into like generally metal, but they like it for, for other reasons that I'll talk about. So so anyways, we've got Shit Pinata and Sick Life from Nailbomb's uh, singular record, Point Blank, or singular uh, studio record, Point Blank, from 1994. Um, so for Requiem Metal Podcast, I am Jason. And I'm Mark. And I, and I don't know how much of that was intentional on purpose. I'm sure Alex uh, probably had the vision to put those two together to create that kind of effect that did it. So what I think it made, it made Sick Life even heavier because you had this industrial tribal. I think Igor, Igor is doing the drums actually. And I think it was just like a drum exercise that Alex really liked it. And Alex just tell him, keep, keep playing. He put a distorted bass and sampler. I don't even know the sampler that, what is that from? Yeah. I know that the world of shit uh, sampler is from, uh, it's from either Gerardo Rivera or one of the talk shows recorded live. <laughs> so it was like, it was a live show and hate is reality. Don't you know God hates? I think that's, they were having a conversation about hate. And so this guy said live in the area, hate is reality. Don't you know God hates, you know, and that's fucking how, how you get stuff like that from live TV too. That's incredible, man. That's like, uh, or maybe Jer maybe it was Jerry Springer. Might even be Jerry Springer. Yeah. It's, a, it's a, from a talk show, but uh, yeah, it, it was cool. I, and I love the fact that Sick Life is kind of longer. It has kind of an epic feeling to it. It's like it's real long, like over five minutes. It's as heavy as it gets. Um, real uh, emotional kind of lyrics about a drug, the drug life, you know. So yeah, it was cool. It was, it. it was definitely a deep record. 